Welcome, welcome, one and all. We got a fantastic battle here for you today in corner number one. My God, I can't make out a corner from another. It's every single competitor we've ever had from season one. It's a downright blue album battle royale down there. I guess I'll just hand it off to your host, Chris and Chris, on today's Blue Album Battle Season 1 Award Show Extravaganza. Hello and welcome everyone to the Blue Album Battle, the podcast where we peer into the music of the 90s through a blue album tinted lens. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm also Chris. And we have a spectacular show for you today. Spectacular is the only word that you could use to describe today's episode. That's Chris. right. What, what are we doing, Christopher? <laughs> I mean, we are basically having what I would consider the equivalent of the Oscars or the Emmys or the Dundies. What's better, Blueies, the Badlies, the Babbies, the Babbies, the, the Babbies. That's it. I like it. Oh, we, guys, this is literally in real time happening, <laughs> unfolding before your eyes. Yeah. So, welcome to the first ever Babby Awards, uh, also better known as the Blue Album Battle Season One Award Show Extravaganza. Yes. Uh, we figured it's been a hell of a year. Twenty twenty is one for the record books, to say the least. But it has also been a very productive year for us, and it's been a hell of a year to record a great first season of episodes of this show. One could say it's one for the records. That is really um, eloquent, he said. <laughs> and this episode is all about the records. Exactly. So I think uh, we've said it before, but I'll say it again. We have tried our best to be as objective as possible and really analyzing these albums for the musicianship and for everything that makes them great on, a, on an objective level. But today, we're going to be a little subjective. We're getting into uh, Chris the Elder and Chris the Younger's true feelings and true emotions about this music and the records and, and talking about the battles, breaking them down, and honestly giving our awards for who we think are the best of the best. That's right. We'll be talking about our favorite singers, our favorite lyricists, our favorite guitarists, bassists, drummers, all the obvious stuff. And we also have a smattering, quite a large smattering, of other categories so we can more deeply explore our feelings about this music mm -hmm. and what makes this music so great in our eyes. Yeah, in a fun way, too. Yes. We're also be talking about all the stuff we hate. Oh, don't you ever forget that. <laughs> That's honestly more fun. <laughs> in a way, yes. <laughs> so how did we prepare for this? I made a playlist of all 21 records we've talked about, because remember, Blue is one of them. Absolutely. Blue is a contender for all of these categories, by the way. Remember that, guys. Yes. 273 songs. Nearly 19 hours of music. Yeah, and, and I listened to it probably 10 times through all the way. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, no. It's, it's been one hell of a shuffle. It's a really great shuffle. If you guys are curious, you can uh, look up the playlist on Spotify, Blue Album Battle, so far, uh, in parentheses. Yeah, I'll have to share a link to it maybe on our uh, story or something. Yeah, sure, something. But uh, if we you guys talking are talking Weez on Instagram. Weez talking Weez on yeah, Instagram. But we obviously know the, the true fans already made the playlist themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the true fans. The quote-unquote true fans. Uh, but yeah, it really does. Those The 21 records. It's uh, it is a remarkable shuffle. <laughs> it really is. Any particular sequences of music stand out to you from your couple weeks of listening to this playlist? I assume you listen to it exclusively. <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened to a single thing other than that. Apart from Smashing Pumpkins.
Martin's new record, CYR. Oh my God. What do you think of that? Pretty fucking awesome. Oh, you love it? I actually really do. I'm, That's funny. I'm shocked that I like it, but I really do. I'm shocked that you like it. I like 80s alternative, and I kind of, mm. and I and I like, you know, synthesizer based music. So right. it, it, it doesn't feel like 80s alternative, it feels like 80s pop. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to say, I like it. Anyway, we're getting very sidetracked no, already. No, it's okay. This is the episode to get sidetracked. Now, we have a ton of categories to get to, and we're going to get to all of them. But this is when we just kind of talk as two friends about music, you know? Okay. So Wait, we're friends? <laughs> That's right. We've been faking it pretty well here for the past couple of years of podcasting. Yeah, we met each other at uh, the pod, How to make, Start Your Own Podcast Workshop. That's right. <laughs> And we both happened to like Weezer. It's sort of like, well, we have to sell it by pretending we're best friends. Yeah. And we had the same name. And it was like, oh, this is ideal. Ideal. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So uh, my original question, though, any sequences mm. within that shuffle stand out to you? Because I, I had a real, I've had several doozies. I, I don't remember specifically what happened, but it, basically within the same uh, cluster of songs, I heard Apache Rose Peacock, Night Swimming, and Tragic Kingdom. Oh, wow. All, all together. <laughs> and I was like, okay. What a smorgasbord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You? I had something similar, actually. Oh, yeah? Petty's Crawling Back to You. Love it. Suck My Kiss. <laughs> yes. Wherever I May Roam. <laughs> and then Man on the Moon. Oh, my God. That is nuts. Yeah. Talk about a smattering. That is great. Yeah. But great that, sequence. This was like this past couple of weeks of listening to this playlist was moments like that galore. Yeah. It really is. It, it kind of shows you, A, how diverse the 90s were in terms of quality music. Basically, everything we've talked about, with the exception of a few, and we'll get to them, have been quality records, right? And there have been so many varieties of genre and feel and production and arranging and everything. So th there's that point, which is fantastic. But I guess without further ado, let's get into part one. Yeah, so we split this up into basically three different segments here. At first, we're going to talk about the battles themselves because mm -hmm. we've been very careful not to spoil battle outcomes, by and large, over the course of doing the show. Yeah, so we want to give you some stats. We want to give you some data. And this shit is awesome. Honestly, like having you put this together so that we could look through and like see every record of, of every single one. Should you just want to go down the list for the 20 and just list off the, the scores real fast just so people can hear? Sure. Do you have that written down? Yes. Okay, please. All right, perfect. So Metallica's Black Album, Weezer wins 14 to 6. No Doubt Tragic Kingdom beats Weezer 11 to 9. R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People loses to Weezer, 11-9. 36 Chambers by Wu-Tang Clan loses 12-8. 10 by Pearl Jam beats Weezer, 13-7. Large. Oh, yep. Alanis Morissette loses, 16-4. Petty loses, 11-9. Rancid loses, 13-7. Fish wins, 12-8. <laughs> OK Computer wins, 11-9. Losing streak. I know. In Utero loses, 13-7. Suckers. Fiona Apple, craziest one, wins 11.5 to 8.5 because it was the only category to tie in skippability factor. Same number of songs, no skips. Oh, I actually had a tie in heart song. So we had a couple ties in that show, weirdly enough. Okay, so double tie. Yeah. Two <laughs> half points should equal Wait, one point. What happened there? That we'll just trust work. the number, but eh, yeah, something I don't strange. Remember. Anyway, uh, Bush's 16 Stone loses <laughs> 19 to 1. By the way. Sorry, Gabby. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Chris the Younger responsible for that one point that's for exact, rhythm section. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sorry, <I re> Wilson. <laughs> uh, let's see. Blood Sugar Sets Magic loses 11 to 9. Achtung! Baby! Loses 14 to 6. 
Portishead's dummy loses 12 to 8. The downward spiral by Nine Inch Nails wins 11 to 9. Sublime loses 16 to 4. Ben Folds 5, whatever and ever, amen, wins 13 to 7. And Bex Odelay loses 11 to 9. Oh, closey. So, to wrap that up for you guys, Weezer's Blue Album has a record of 13 and 7. Pretty damn good. Does that meet your expectations going into the show? Did you think it'd be higher or lower? I kind of figured it would be right about there. I was hoping it would be higher than 50%, obviously. Yeah. Because if it was 50% or less, then we chose a bad album exactly. to base this entire <laughs> premise around. It basically invalidates the premise of the show. Yeah. Which was my biggest concern when No Doubt won episode In two. episode two, right off the bat, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it wasn't, I didn't have an issue with Weezer losing because I don't care. Right. I didn't have an issue with No Doubt winning, though it surprised me. I mm-hmm. gave them plenty of points, so I'm as much to blame. Right. Such <laughs> quote, unquote. Blame. I was just like, shit, it's episode two, and Weezer just lost to an album that I don't think anyone considers better than Blue Album. Right. This is a flawed concept. Yeah, yeah. I think, again, small sample size, now after 20 battles, this feels it, pretty right. Exactly. And I'm really excited to just keep the show rolling and see how it holds up. But yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty, pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, the largest Weezer losses... Ben Folds 5 in Pearl Jam, 13-7. Yeah, yeah, big deal. Uh, Fish, 12-8, pretty close. Exactly. A couple close wins, too. OK Computer, Downward Spiral, Tragic Kingdom, 11-9 victories over Blue Album there. So, you know, a couple nail biters. Yeah, yeah, and then obviously Fiona Apple in that 11.5 to 8.5, basically the same difference. And then the closest Weezer wins, R.E.M., Petty, and Beck, all 11-9. So, I mean, that's the thing. Really close nail biters. This is like... Just the center of the curve. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? A lot of eleven nine scores. Exactly. You want to talk about Weezer's biggest wins? Please. Okay. So there's the outright obliteration of Sixteen Stone <laughs> by Bush, nineteen to one, in which I gave the only point for rhythm section. But Do you yeah. regret that by the way? Would it not I might, have been uh, fun? I might talk about it. I might talk oh, about okay. it. Oh <laughs> okay. There's a future category. <laughs> okay. Um and then uh Sublime, sixteen to four. So four little points, which I believe I gave all of them. No. You gave one and I gave three. That's right. And that was the first time I changed a point in the middle of our battle. That's Yeah, that's never happened. I have done that. Well, kind of in real time without ever exposing it. Like you've changed my mind and I just say, okay, my point's going. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, seriously, that was awesome. Something of note, we've yet to have a tie and we have yet to have a shutout on either side. Um, so that's that, bound to happen. I think both are bound to happen. The absolutely. Tie, I can't believe we've avoided the tie. Yeah. I thought, I really thought it was going to happen with Beck. Yes. I really thought it was going to happen with, with Beck's Odelay. Uh, and then the shutout, I honestly thought it was going to happen with, with, uh, Bush. Yeah. But I, I made a stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, of all of the victories. Yeah. What's the most surprising win among those mm. to you? So assuming you mean win as in Weezer's Blue Album winning, uh, I would say the most surprising was, honestly, Octung Baby, particularly by its margin. The fact that Blue Album beat Octung by 14 to 6, that seems gargantuan for such a well-regarded record. That's a great point, uh, um, yes. So that, probably that one, and then Odelay. I thought Odelay would win. Mm. Um, so I Going in, you thought Odelay would win? Yes. Or j- okay. Yep. Cool. Um, so those two. Yeah, what about you? Okay, so my most surprising Weezer win is actually in utero. Oh, really? 13-7. Just the thought that Nirvana, mm-hmm. without whom Weezer would not exist. Pretty much. Right? Loses by the same margin 10 by Pearl Jam wins by. Wow. They're arch rivals. 
Yeah, but uh, well, I, I guess that's the problem. If we're being totally subjective, I think 10 is a way better record than In Utero. Right. And, and the thing is, I don't. Mm. But as far as how it actually breaks stacks down. up and breaks down when you quantify it, there's more merit on a musical, lyrical, vocal level to an album like 10 than to an album like In Utero. In Utero, it's like a visceral love. It's perhaps nostalgic love. I mean, yeah. frankly, like, for those of you who listen to that episode, like, I learned a lot about my attraction to that music and my relationship with that record in particular over the course of that research process. Yeah. And, and it did bring up a lot of emotions. No kidding. Even though, it to really me, did. it's not very... It's not really personal music. It's not really music that speaks to me, but it's definitely music that represents a, a moment l- in time. A lot of emotion and a lot of pain. And um, that didn't even really factor into the score. They just got kind of demolished by probably a superior record on most counts. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you know? I, I agree with you. I think that is quite surprising. So then let's flip it. The most surprising loss. Yes. For me, Tragic Kingdom, Downward Spiral, and Billy Breathes were all like contenders, yeah. all shockers to me. I think the biggest one is Downward Spiral. You think that's the most surprising? I think that is the most surprising. I would never in a million years have guessed that that, that record would have won. But that's because you don't you didn't know about Nine Inch Nails. Like, in other words, in the in the grand scheme of music, uh-huh. Because mine is no doubt, obviously. Okay. Like that's a no doubter and it's no doubt. And there wasn't even a there's no nominees. Because for each oh, of these wow. categories, we're going to be giving nominees and then say our winners, just to say what kind of entered our brain when we yeah, thought, definitely. who is the best guitarist? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No one views, no doubt, Gwen Stefani, brain trust there, like they view Trent Reznor. Like, Trent Reznor mm. is perceived as a musical genius, or at least a mu- musical visionary. Sure. No doubt is a very successful pop rock band. Right. So that's why, to me, like, Nine Shells wasn't even in the running here. Like of course, first surprising, yeah, yeah. Of course, they're going to yeah. be a contender. I didn't think like, oh, they're definitely going to win, and it was a very close battle. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, like that's a valid record, and that's a True. record of great substance and yeah. great acclaim, mm-hmm. and has aged well and all that stuff. Where Tragic Kingdom is like, that was a hit record that I like. Don't get me wrong, people talk about it, but like, it's not in the zeitgeist, and it's definitely not in critical circles, cons- like revered as a top ten record of the '90s or anything. Which is funny because I really do think of uh, No Doubt as like a peer of Weezer. Uh, Sure. Just their, you know, like you said, pop rock, like very palatable, not necessarily bubblegum, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Just radio ready music. Yeah. And in terms of musicianship, though, like, no doubt is like fucking on point. Absolutely. So I, I, I yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a tough category. I think, I think all of them were, were relatively. Yeah. No, I, and I totally get what you mean by the Nine Inch Nails because you go, like, oh, really? Like an industrial heavy rock record? Mm-hmm. But then you go, oh, no, I see. Like, this is a record of deep sophistication. Yeah. This is a record of undeniable quality, even if I don't love it. Totally. And I think that that is also true of Tragic Kingdom. I think Tragic Kingdom is a great record. I'm glad to hear you say that. For what it is. It's not, it's not a favorite of mine, but I'm saying, like, great band, super tight, great arrangements, decent sounding. Like, I didn't find myself loving the sound sure. up against every record we've talked about. It was, it'd be like, oh, that's a No Doubt song. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sounds good. And I think it even won production for me, if I remember correctly. Of course, now that was almost a year ago. But right. it's just, it's a really quality album of that genre. I completely agree. Yeah, big fan. Before we move on to the musicians themselves, yeah, yeah. one last note about the battles here. Mm-hmm. What is the most surprising point given by yourself and given by me? That's a good question. For you, I don't remember <laughs> because we've had 20 episodes so 20 by 10 yeah that's about 200 points that you've given out 
Exactly. Just kidding. Exactly 200 points. <laughs> Roughly. Roughly. I don't know how to do math. And uh, yeah, too many points to remember. But I can definitely tell you the ones that I feel were most surprising. And then maybe you can tell me yours. I think rhythm section to Bush, I kind of regret <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, in hindsight. Not only because I think Weezer's rhythm section is better in hindsight, but then it would have given us a shutout, which would have been fun. Uh, and then the other one is uh, vocal performance to Anthony Kiedis. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, because that, yeah, Rivers is better. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Especially, so. you know what, you know, again, because I didn't bring it up on the Beck episode, but mm-hmm. I was like, going in, I was like, I, he he may have to give this to Beck because he gave it to Kiedis. Right. And, and Beck is not a worse singer than Kiedis. Exactly. And he raps and he sings. Right. So yeah, in <laughs> hindsight, Beck should have won and Kiedis should have lost. Right. And then Beck would have won the battle. <laughs> A, a weird Whoopsie. thing. A weird thing happened to me in after we recorded Red Hot Chili Peppers' uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic episode, uh, where I learned a couple of Red Hot Chili Peppers songs for some acoustic solo gigs that I was doing, uh-huh. and I learned Aeroplane. Oh, cool! Uh, which is off the next record, One Hot Minute. Like he sings the fuck out of that song. Yeah, exactly. He sounds better on on subsequent records. A little bit, yeah, yeah or he, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. He he sounds really good on uh, Stadium Arcadium too. Like oh, okay. that 2004 release, that like double album. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He sounds really good on that album. So nice. Yeah, no, he definitely improved. Whether it's production help or just less drugs, maturing, less drugs. Please, fewer drugs. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. For me, most surprising point that you gave is actually from my one for Chrissy choice, from the Fish record. What? Where for closing track, you chose Prince Caspian. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Over Only in Dreams. Now, obviously, Only in Dreams doesn't hold the place in your heart that it does in mine and most Weezer fans, but still, really strong closer. We always kind of find ourselves struggling to beat it. Absolutely. And yet Prince Caspian, which I didn't even choose. Good song, though. It's a, it's a really good song, and it is a very good closer, but it's just funny. Some of the closers that did not transcend yeah, <laughs> Only yeah. Dreams, and then Prince Caspian, a.k.a. Fucker Pants, as they call it in the Fish community, beats Only in Dreams, which is widely regarded probably a top three Weezer song by most Weezer fans. Right, yeah. You know? I, I'm a little inconsistent, so to speak. <laughs> so no, but it's that. okay, but, you're, but, but the thing is, Prince Caspian does have the epic energy that's often lacking from some of the better songs that get beaten right. by Only in Dreams. Yes, so I think it actually the scope, the it scope serves of the role of closer really well. I agree. What surprised me the most? You gave Fish a point when I didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. That was the only <laughs> time we broke. We were we were pretty well aligned. That's so funny. You know, or one of the two times at least. Yeah, that's uh, also something of note. We've never once had a Chrissy full agreement. That's right. We've never given all our points to the same competitors in an episode. Yeah, that's what? probably going to come too. We've come I very so. close now. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Last couple have been very close. And then my most surprising point is the first point that I ever gave out. The Enter Sandman beating Jonas? Yeah. Really? Because I think that it, that was a well-placed point. I didn't say it was a bad point. I'm saying it's most surprising. Because mm. never in a million years would I say I like Enter Sandman better than Jonas. But I think it's a great opener. I thought it then and I think it now. And I thought it was important to set the precedent of like, hey, this ain't a Weezer love fest. And mm. I got to see things for what they are. And I thought that was a perfect encapsulation of that. Right. However, in the grand scheme of things that have beaten My Name is Jonas or things that My Name is Jonas has beaten, mm-hmm. the thought that like Metallica beat it is kind of funny. Yeah. Like, I would rather listen to My, My Name is Jonas any day of the week over Enter Salmon. Not just because I've heard Enter Salmon a ton and not because I don't like it, but just I love My Name is Jonas. Yes. Yeah, and it's a great opener. Right. So uh, that, to me, is a surprising point, looking back on it. I thought it was a good tone setter, mm. and, I, and, I, and I think I would probably choose the same, but I'm still like, 
Oh, really? <laughs> Enter Sandman. Like, you were shocked when I chose it. I was. Yeah. I was. But I do think that the logic was sound, and I think it was the logic that defines this show. I like this more, but this is better. Right. Trying to be objective. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so th- fuck that. <laughs> just fuck that today, and fuck Enter Sandman. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Hey, actually, quick question about songs, because I meant to put this in the notes. Enter Sandman stands out to me as a song that would be really fun to cover. Oh, yeah. And I've never covered it. Yeah. Is there a song of these 273 mm. that you think would be the most fun to play in front of people? Because oh, something that comes up a lot on this show, and uh, I actually cut out a lot of examples of me describing playing these you songs have live. have performed I've them. performed a lot of these songs live. Totally, totally. But like Enter Sandman would slay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that all the time, honestly. Yeah. Uh, any real, like, real metallic... I guess it depends on the crowd, for sure, but like you play that and... Fr- yeah. I still think that like a band in a bar playing a song of that nature yeah like even if you're like oh why aren't you playing you know injustice for all or something like yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) like i think it'd still be like fuck yes totally that's a good question i would probably say uh my name is jonas only because we have played that together live and i feel like it did totally slay even though (laughs) we might not have read the room (laughs) but uh, uh, we (laughs) yeah Um, everything was going fine until you took the mic (laughs) right uh let's see um Oh, Song for the Dumped by Ben Folds 5. Nice. Great song to play. That really captures the energy. Right. One that I have covered. And then honestly, if you were to execute it perfectly, Paranoid Android. Yes, that that's would, another one that came that to mind. That would tear down the house. Absolutely. Yeah, do you have any any that I didn't say? No, no, no. I, you know, I, just, I didn't really think about it much because uh, just because I have talked about it so much that mm-hmm. I was like, but when I heard Enter Salmon, I was like, man, I'd love to cover this in front of humans and maybe also it's because i haven't really played in front of humans in the longest stretch of my adult life totally so that may be part of it but also i was like yeah note to self play that and sing that in front of humans sometimes for sure i've also always like daydreamed of being able to play bass for maxwell murder yeah like a punk rock show and just be like yeah like standing on top of my amp and just (laughs) standing on top of your amp Full stack. That's right. <laughs> 12 feet in the air. I can box jump that, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fit as fuck. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Well, we're going to see who's fit as fuck as we move into the second portion of our program as we talk about the musicians. This is my favorite part. This is like the meat. This is where the real awards really you're, come You're in. more excited about this than naming our top 10 heart songs and our top five favorite albums? So I think part three is going to be the most fun to talk about, but I think part two is like the most important. Okay. In terms of like what makes these bands these bands. Like sure. the creators, like the best of each category, sure. basically. Whereas round three is a little more opinions. I or, well, they're all opinions, but like uh, how do I explain this? <laughs> this is more based off our actual categories in terms of like who's the best singer, who's the best drummer, who's the best guitarist, blah blah blah. Whereas part three is a little bit more wild card like Right. I like this. I like this. I don't like, I like that. This. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is the the meat and potatoes. So I'm pretty excited to get into it. Absolutely. Well, let's start with a fun category here. Yeah. Best harmony vocals. Oh, that's great. This is like best supporting actor. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, right? We're easing into it. The people who won last year are out presenting the award. Yep. Mm-hmm. The man for the actresses, the female for the actors. <laughs> yeah. This is very classic. Exactly. Okay, so uh, why don't you get us started? Because I feel like I've started everything in sure. round one. So this really was a, a four-horse race for me. Mm. Fish, Ben Folds, Weezer, R.E.M. Those are my candidates. Wow. Those are my nominees. Very nice. I think those are... All bands that are renowned for their vocal harmonies. Absolutely. Vocal always have been. You know, and always have been. Absolutely. Right. It's defining to their sound. Yes. When it came down to it, though, mm. I had to choose Fish. 
Wow. Not because I'm a fish homer, but simply because the sophistication of their arranging and the fact that those four guys do not have great voices and yet what they create together it's transcends beautiful. that. You yeah. listen to the big three-part harmony in free. And you don't think for a second those guys aren't singers. Right. You the go, whole, that is epic. Yeah. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. Kind of and I think all these bands achieve that in some way. Ben Folds Five, three singers. Mm-hmm. Great vocal blend individually, yep. not your traditional voices. Yes. Same with Weezer to some degree. Matt Sharp's falsetto harmonies. Not necessarily a vocal style of great quality, sure. but it's the perfect quality for the Weezer music. Yes. Yeah. Really, really good point. I'm and R.E.M., you- I think they're both great singers. But Mike Mills, very nasal and... In the grand scheme of things, Michael Stipe on the more nasal end of vocalists mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of rock music, for sure. Definitely. But the blend of their voices defines that band. But I had to go with Fish because of the f- sophistication of their arranging. You know what's so funny? I also had four nominees. Okay. All four are exactly the same. Oh, I love it. Fish, R.E.M., Weezer, and Ben Folds 5. That's- However, I did not go with Fish for the winner. Can I guess who you went with? Yeah. Ben Folds 5. Exact Mundo. Yeah. yeah. That, was my, that was close. Yeah. I, I would say that those were the top two. Yeah. Um, honestly, Fish and Ben Folds. But uh, I love the blend of those three guys. And it, for me, and I guess Fish is doing the same thing, right? Fish has this incredible uh, composition of acapella and, and harmony while they're playing their, their instruments. And that's kind of why I gave it to Ben Folds. The fact that all three of them are true masters of their instrument and they're playing their instrument and they're playing their line, but then they're singing immaculate harmonies on top of it and so the ability to kind of multitask and do all that especially live uh is way better and i would argue that ben folds five is a tighter band live than fish absolutely so yeah i would say the bar they're trying to clear is lower Mm. even though they're sophisticated sophistication of all the musicianship billy breeze notwithstanding some of the fish compositional stuff and some of the fish vocal arranging stuff far outpaces every other band we've talked about. Right. So there's that, but I completely agree. Well, and also, there's a repertoire of over 300 songs where Ben Folds has a repertoire of 20 that they were touring at, at any given moment, yeah. so you totally. can get a lot better at them. All that being said, Ben Folds 5 is one of my favorite bands ever to watch play live. Yeah. Even though I've never seen them live, and we're going to talk about that later. But one of my absolute favorite bands to watch play live, so I'm completely with you, and I was going to make the point before you did, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, oh, live, Ben Folds 5, much better singers than Fish, yes. for sure. Yep, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Very cool. I'm glad that uh, that worked out. All right, so Fish and Ben Folds walking away with some babbies. <laughs> Let's move on to the, the prominent vocalist, a.k.a. best lead singer. And for each of the categories that are going to follow, we're going to choose our favorite and our least favorite. Mm -hmm. And also pick a favorite moment. Exactly. It doesn't have to be by our favorite singer, but just our favorite vocal moment. Totally. Okay. We're not going to pick our least favorite vocal moment because that would just be brutal to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) It would. It would. But uh, okay, Chris, get us started. All right. So without further ado, the nominees for Chris the Younger's Best Lead Singer, Mm. Fiona Apple, Beth Gibbons of Portishead, Michael Stipe of R.E.M., and Tom York of Radiohead. Mm. Do you want to take a guess at who I picked of those four? I don't, because it may give away my choice. Very good. I, this was a tough decision, because all four of these singers are quite unique and quite different, with the exception... I, uh, honestly, no. No exceptions. I think they're all very unique. Agree. But for me, my personal taste, this was very, very close. It came down to two, but I went with Tom York. 
nice. of Radiohead. He yeah. just, he really, it is like an objective fact that Tom York has an incredibly polarizing voice. Yeah. Um, and so I completely understand people not liking him. Uh, but for me, he is everything I want. It was either it was either going to be him or Beth Gibbons, to be quite honest. Oh, okay. From Portishead. Yeah. I was assuming it was Fiona, quite honestly. But I do love her too. I yeah. think all four of these. I know. Yeah. For sure. yeah. So many, so many good contenders. But yeah, I had to go with Tom York because he's uh, one of my favorite vocalists of the '90s and ever. That's a great choice. I had those four on my list as well. But no way. <laughs> I have even more options though. Uh, Rivers. Sure. Yeah. Rivers love was Rivers. Singing. Very close to me. Always have. Uh, Petty, one of my favorite voices in music, especially yeah. on Wildflowers. He re- yeah, no, that's it's a really good point. By and large, the least like affected of his singing, like like less affectation. Yeah. Besides those, don't fades and those kinds <laughs> of things. <laughs> but uh, and his wake up time. Oh yeah. no no no. But no. but by and large, just in the way that Ruben records his voice, right. I just think it's a match made in heaven. It's a beautiful sound. Yeah, particularly on Wildflowers. Yeah, like that the song, not the record. Oh my god. Yeah, that's like one of the best his his voice has ever sounded ever. And then my last nominee here is actually Bonobos. Oh, yeah. Who got, ro- like, totally, that's probably my second worst point, is Bonobos losing vocals to Rivers. Mm-hmm. We should be clear that Bonobos is Bono <laughs> <laughs> of you two. Sorry. Yes. For those of you who don't listen to the Scott and Scott Paul Houston, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because he does have an amazing voice. I agree with you. Expressive. Right. You know, I was, t- I talked about the fact that it was kind of fraying and, and weakening right. by this point. Yeah, we did also make the point that on that record, Achtung, Bebe. Yeah. That that's not his best performance. Exactly. And so that like waited, if we were doing like J Tree, yes. be a very different it, story. It honestly factored in probably too much. Yep. Because I was thinking like, well, my favorite Bono is uh and you know, war and Joshua Tree, this more intense, higher register, mm-hmm. a little more clarity. Yeah. Octung Baby is a different brand of Bono, but my goodness, I mean, that is maybe the most Bono performance ever yeah. is the is the it's songs true. on that. So it's true. So that was close. So when it came down to it though, I'm right with you. Tom York. Really? Yes. Awesome. And I'm glad that we're aligning so much. That's so That's fun. very exciting. Good stuff. All right. Tom York wins the Babby unanimously yes. for Best Lead Singer of 2020. And, and, and well-deserved. I, I, think, I completely I think agree. another thing that, that we can talk about with York, too, besides everything you said, is influence. Mm. The way he sang, even though he was borrowing from people like Jeff Buckley, right. who came before, the way he sang set up a whole generation of Brit pop singers yeah. that followed a whole generation Travis and Coldplay and all that stuff for better or worse they were really emulating Tom York yeah you know it's funny because it's kind of a hybrid of Tom York and Bono that mm. a lot of them are doing Whoa. with the falsettos and stuff you know right. that's a really interesting point but but to me just uh, the emotional expressiveness of Tom York's voice yeah it's only rivaled by people like Beth Gibbons and Fiona Apple totally yeah the humanity Speaking of which, let's talk about the moment, because this is a, a case where my favorite singer also has my favorite vocal moment. Same. Oh, my God. So let's see if we, <laughs> let's see if we have the same moment. So for me, mm-hmm. and this may be my favorite segment of music of the 21 records we've discussed. It's the bridge through the outro of Exit Music 4 film.
The emotion, mm-hmm. the highs and lows, and the and the vulnerability, and just just the whole band yeah. working as one, but being led by Tom York's voice, and it's almost like the OK Computer equivalent of the bridge of Creep, mm. which is where we all fell in love with Tom York's voice, where we said, "Who sings like this? Yeah. What so, man in 1993 sings like this?" Yeah, that's awesome. It was so revelatory. That's amazing. And I think the emotion, just because of the nature of this song, it's just heightened here. I, I, anyway, I, that is the pinnacle of music for me, is stuff like that. That's so funny. Yeah. I picked another song off the same record. Uh, Obviously, we could only, <laughs> there's only one Radiohead record to choose from, but it's actually it's the outro of Let Down. That's probably absolutely my favorite vocal moment, but possibly one of my favorite musical moments of all 21 records. The layering and the how grand and like uplifting it is, um, just so good. And then the computer beep boops after. I know that's not vocal, but still, just like yeah, love it, love it so much. <laughs> Me too, man. Did you have any honorable mentions for that category? I did. Michael Stipe, "Bridge of Everybody Hurts." Oh wow, okay, good. The "Don't Throw Oh Your Hand." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I-, I was with you. <laughs> I know. And uh, Vetter on release. Nice. Oh, cool. Those moments. Right on. Right some of my on. favorite singing of the of the time. Uh, I I could also maybe point to some Fiona moments, but but and and Rhodes by Gibbons. Mm-hmm. But like as far as epic moments that could rival Exit Music, those sure. stood out to me. Awesome. Also, Milk It by Nirvana. Fair enough. <laughs> for completely different reasons. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But love that. Intense. Totally. For sure. Uh, mine were that little acapella bit from Theme from the Bottom. <laughs> <laughs> which is by fish, which That's is very fun. fun. I also put in the choruses of Kate because I just love that, uh, and then basically all of I know by Fiona Apple. Yeah, that's and, what came to mind. Yeah. And then all of Night Swimming. <sighs> yes, like all of Night Swimming. Great, that entire song, just immaculate singing. Great uh, choices. But yeah, but can't you can't rival Tom York on those two songs? No. Fuck, I so, love it, dude. Tom York just fucking cleaned up. <laughs> 
in, up. I mean, are, is anyone surprised? He's especially going to clean up. Well, he's also my least favorite singer. So he's shredding oh, the tape. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> I can't believe it. So let's get to the most fun bit of this. Oh. Who is the worst lead singer that we have talked and about? And we'll say le- uh, least favorite. We got to be. Right. Least favorite, a.k.a. the worst. <laughs> Like I said. Because I think depending on who you ask, some people would say Tom York, uh, like legitimately would say like, oh, I can't listen to that whiny radio. I bullshit. agree. You yeah, know? I completely agree. Steve, uh, my buddy Steve Briggs, who I work with, is the same way. He, wow. he, ha- he hates it when I put Radiohead on at the gym. And I'm just like, funny. come on, dude. <laughs> so a uh, couple nominees here. <laughs> so, some obvious ones. Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. Anthony Kiedis. Ooh. Tony Kids. <laughs> and the combo of Tim Armstrong and Lars Fredrickson <sighs> from Rancid. Those 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 are my three nominees. Do you uh, want to guess who I picked? Alanis. I had to go with Rancid. Wow, that is terrible. Alanis uh, is actually a good singer. The uh, thing with Alanis, I don't like what she does with her voice. I find it grating at times, but she can sing sweet and she sings with great pitch wow. and she sings with great expressiveness. Mm. Rancid sings in one way. It suits their music perfectly. As yes. far as voice, though, that's my least favorite voice to listen to. Even worse than Hetfield and stuff like that, where it's a very affected way of singing. Uh-huh. Like, for my taste, I'm saying, because again, it's favorite. That to me, I like punk music, but one thing that I like is when there's tunes. Yeah. And I yeah. think that the way that both of those guys sing, and I don't think I gave Lars Fredrickson enough blame, because honestly, I didn't realize how much he sang. Because their voices are very similar. Right, and, yeah, it's hard to... I, yeah, it's basically a 50-50 split on the record. I know, and on the episode we did, I just kept blaming Armstrong. And that well, Armstrong fair. is... I think of him as the lead singer, but then right, I watch a right. lot of live videos, I was like, oh, right, that's they're going back and forth. <laughs> exactly. I'm such an idiot. Well, Armstrong, it's basically... It, the effect is very simple. You just put a bunch of marbles in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You play Fluffy Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that was one that I, it was Alanis or Kiedis, mm. because that's what sprung immediately. Right, and then you're like, oh wait. The shuffle. Every time a Rancid song came on, I wasn't always unhappy to hear it, but then the singing would start, and I'd be like, oh, just fucking spit it out. Ah, <laughs> uh, You know, like, so, so I was like, wait, that's the worst singing. Yeah, that's fair. You All know, right, well, we did not align on this I, Oh, I'm sure. Because I'm sure. I would put Rancid pretty high, uh, even though I know <laughs> that they're not good singers. So I have three nominees here. Gavin Rosdale. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, Alanis Morissette and Brad Knoll. Oh, that's funny. That I I like Brad Knoll more than you do. Yeah, uh, but I I chose Alanis. Yeah, because yeah. I just don't like her voice very much. I think that she, like you said, she can sing. She has good pitch. Um, but those effects where she kind of like the eye eyes, yeah, so to speak. Uh, yeah, not for me. Yeah, it's it's pretty unlistenable. I, that was probably my most skipped tracks were. Possibly from Jagged Little Pill, as yeah. I was listening to these shuffles. It happened. And songs that would come on, and I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, like, like so, oh, right. A subtle drum beat starts, and I'm like, wow, this is, oh, uh, it's fucking a lot. <laughs> you know? Woof. Yeah, that's definitely the record I know the least well. Same. You know, which is funny because I had it growing up. That's but, crazy. It was like, no, I only listen to the singles. That's all I listen to. It was <laughs> wow. like, hand in my pocket, and, uh, and you ought to know. That's probably it. That's awesome. Well, that's a great way to wrap up the singing category, but let's talk about. What they were singing about. <laughs> Sounds great. Best and worst lyricists. Yes. This is very fun. Yes. <laughs> All right. And, and, and also within here, and this was a suggestion by listener and my dear friend Steve Johnson, mm-hmm. the Rosdalian Cryptic Bullshit Award for Worst Lyric. Perfect. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah. Best Lyric, Worst Lyric, and Best Lyricist and Worst Lyricist. Yes. This is fun. This is fun. They do not have to be one and the same. No. And this is obviously where we tended to spend the most time in our battles. Yeah, because there's so much to talk about. So much to talk about. Uh, it's probably where I learned the most, both about the artists and about the craft of songwriting. 
Yeah, seriously. I feel like you can get a really good read on someone's mind when you hear to hear their lyrics versus hearing their music. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. truly their opinion and, and their intellect coming out. It's true. Yeah. You get a lot... In a different way than your musicianship. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think that musician is expressing something, but through a, a nonverbal means, just to hear the, the feelings, or lack thereof, articulated, it kind of makes or breaks a song when yeah. you're actually diving into it. You can love a song and then read the lyrics and be like... Oh, I may like this less than I did before. I can't think of a specific example, but that happened plenty of times over the course of these 20 battles for me, mm. where I was like, ah, oh, shit, really? Like, honestly, Sublime's a great example, right? Where it's like, this is a great groove, and I like his singing. What the fuck is he doing singing that? G.I. Joe Kung Fu Grip? <laughs> well, that's, that's a classic. Tip? <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I yeah, wish yeah. I wrote it. All right. <laughs> well, why don't I leave this one since you, you took I'd last I'd love category. to hear that. All right. <clears throat> my nominees for best lyricist of season one Tom York of Radiohead Fiona Apple of Fiona Apple Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails Whoa. Ben Folds yeah Beck Whoa. and Rivers oh my goodness Quite. it was hard to choose between these guys yeah it's a great list it is a solid list but I'm a little surprised actually by two inclusions there but I'm gonna, I'm gonna Reznor see you think Okay, three. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so obviously, Tommy York, Fiona Apple, Trent Reznor, Ben Folds, Beck, and Rivers Cuomo. The cream has to rise to the top, baby. Yeah. Fiona Apple. Gotta 100%. Be has to be. She is a genius. <laughs> uh, and she's my pick, too. I'll say my nominees as honorable mentions, but she, she is absolutely the number one lyricist we've discussed. I have a feeling she's going to be the number one lyricist we ever talk about. Very likely. I mean, it's so hard to compete. We talked so much in the episode about just how fucking insanely smart and how well the meter flows. Like, how is she... Not only is it perfect poetry on a page, but the fact that she can turn it into a rhythmic song... And sing about it in addition to its depth and everything. Yeah, I can't even put it into words. It's making me feel stupid how smart she is. Yeah, it's the complete inverse of the effect I was just describing, which is I always loved this music, and then I read the lyrics, and I was like, oh, no, I adore this music. Right. Like, this is the best music I've heard in forever, and it's a 1999 record that I've heard since 1999, and I'm discovering it all anew. It's pretty awesome when that happens. Because huh? of that quality of lyrics. It's, it's insane. And I have a feeling when we talk about best lyric, we'll get a couple examples. Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh, just my honorable mentions, Ben Folds for sure. Awesome. Another revelation. Like, yes, yes, this is a next level lyricist. The thing that kept him from, I mean, besides feeling his greatness, it, it's the silliness mm -hmm. that kept him out of the top spot as well. That's fair. Like, and, and just the casual language, right. which I think works great for his music. Yeah. But as far as like, if I'm really saying like the best lyrics, it's tough for me to put someone who says, give me my money back, you bitch, <laughs> in a best lyrics conversation, just for me. I suppose so. Not I just because yeah, it's I would tasteless, say just because it's not the same good. way, though. Well, Rivers isn't even an honorable mention for me. Wow. He won this category a decent amount over the course of these battles. Yeah. But mostly because of the failures of the other people for mm, me. Interesting. Like okay. the reason I love Blue Alm is not its lyrics. Right. It never has been. It's, okay. It was, it was the vibe. It was the harmonies. It was Rivers singing and it was the guitar playing. Yeah. And Wilson's drum. That's what I loved about the record. It was, it was never really the lyrics. I, I think the lyrics are good, but not near Fiona Apple, Ben Folds 5, Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, nice. Particularly Jizza. Some yeah. of those Jizza verses, like rereading like my notes for you know lyric sections, just to kind of refresh my memory, you know, because when I'm listening, it's a little hard to make out some of the words, and I'm I'm driving or whatever. 
my goodness, that's some brilliant, brilliant poetry. Absolutely. Such as it is. It's yeah. just brilliant use of language. Yeah. That's why I'm so excited to talk about more hip-hop. Like, when you listen to, to Low End Theory and fucking Equimini, like, you're going to have some kick-ass lyrics and, and verses to talk about. Uh, since I brought them up, my notes, mm-hmm. I meant to mention this up front because we love quantification. We sure do. We talk a lot about our scrolls on this show. <laughs> Chris, actually, These old things? <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of scrolls in this room right now. I actually counted up the total amount of words I wrote for this program. Okay. The number, 43,124 words. That's total over the 20 episodes? Yes. Oh, my God. Which equals 172 pages. That double space. Double space. But like, if I was writing this as an academic paper, that's right. like, this is my dissertation, is the Blue Album Battle 2020. Fuck. 43,000 words. That's so many. I was shocked. I just did a word count on each document and added them Adam. all. And I was like, whoa. Do you <laughs> want to guess what I had the most notes about? You will never get it right. I... I that may be of a hit, the, but... Mm, of the 20 episodes, what did you have the most notes for? Yeah. Like, mm. by a surprisingly large margin. Is it Sublime? No. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I don't know. I, I, I think it'll make sense why, but it was Metallica. Oh, because it was you, were, you were getting prepared. You I was getting prepared, and I, and I wasn't shorthanding anything. I was really writing it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, like and I you do realized, I don't need to do that bullshit. Yeah, it was kind of like, cool, what's good about that and what's bad about that? Let me streamline. Yeah. Uh, and I streamlined pretty quickly, because by Pearl Jam 10, I was down to 1,400, <laughs> which was my least amount. Wow. You know, and then most were in between, or usually around 20, you know, 2,000 to 2,500, something like that. But shocking amount of language, speaking of language. Yeah, you'll never guess how much mine is. At least uh, 1,000. Yeah, I have no idea because yeah. I didn't fucking do that because I'm not a loser. <laughs> you, you love <laughs> stats, kidding. though. I thought I'm you'd kidding. appreciate that. I do lo- I'd love the fact that you did that, and it makes me sad that I didn't do it myself. But uh, it would be way less. I know that. Do we want to do favorite lyric? Absolutely. I mean, we haven't even talked worst. I know. I know. So, so yeah, so we'll do, do favorite, favorite lyric first. Okay. I have four choices for best lyric. Oh, you're doing nominees for this, too? Wow. We don't have to. No, 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 say your nominees. You're not going to read them all, right? I don't have to. Oh, you were going to? Do it. Do it. We got no time. It's podcasting. Podcast land. Time does not exist. Okay. (laughs) From Subterranean Homesick Alien by Radiohead, I'd tell my friends, but they'd never believe me. They'd think that I'd finally lost it completely. I'd show them the stars and the meaning of life. They'd shut me away, but I'd be all right. All right. I'm all right. Nice. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I love that verse. The, specifically, the they finally say I'd lost it completely. To, yeah, I just love that sentiment to know that, like, that guy's crazy, but finally he's over the edge. Uh, Closer by oh, Nine Inch Nails. Wow. I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. I want to fuck you like an animal. Here's the kicker. My whole existence is flawed. Yeah. You bring me closer to God. Remarkable. Whew. On the Bound by Fiona Apple. Ah. This one's good. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. Should I change my mind? I can't decide. There's too many variations to consider. No thing I do, don't do no thing, but bring me more to do. It's true. I do imbue my blue unto myself. I make it bitter. <laughs> Fucking A. That's yeah, wordplay. <laughs> so good. And the, the way she says things, obviously I can't do it justice, yeah. but the way she puts the emphasis on certain syllables to make it uh, a, a verse is perfect. And then I had to give another shout out to Fiona. In Love Ridden, Love Ridden, I've looked at you with the focus I gave to my birthday candles. I've wished upon the lidded blue flames under your brow, and baby, I wished for you. 
good shit. Remember you bringing that up on the episode and just still one of my favorites. You reading it to me, it, it still moves me. Yeah, in a variety. Are you talking about your boner? Variety of ways, but your boner mostly. In a in a myriad of ways, but mostly the boner. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you choose? Oh my gosh! All right, it was tough. Of those four nominees, it really came down to the two Fiona uh, yeah, lyrics. Yeah. And as much as I love them both, I actually went with On the Bound. I don't know what I'm doing, don't know should I change my mind. I can't decide, there's too many variations to consider. Nothing I do, don't do nothing, but bring me more to do. It's true, I do, and be my blue one to myself, I make it bitter. Particularly because of the line, no thing I do, don't do no thing, but bring me more to do. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. So good. Yeah, so that was my choice. Great choice. Thanks. What about you, man? Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure a lot came to mind. I didn't write any nominees down just because I figured it'd be laborious. Too many, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to go with, and I didn't even mention this person as one of my favorite lyricists, but I had to go with Crawling Back to You by Petty. Last nice. verse. I'm so tired of being tired. Sure as night will follow day. Most things I worry about never happen anyway. Which to me sums up so much about how we all fuck up our lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how anxious people, how nervous people, how thoughtful people and sensitive people just completely sabotage themselves by thinking about what's going to happen. And then, of course, it doesn't, you know? Right. Anyway, I always love that line. I love how it's delivered. I j- it's just great. And I love it on the page. And I learned something great from listening to the new Wildflowers Deluxe package that came out called Wildflowers and all the rest. And it has an early version of You Don't Know How It Feels, wherein this verse is sung over that song. Oh my God. That sounds awesome. It sounds like this. I'm so tired of being tired. Sure as night will follow day. Most things that I worry about never happen anyway. So what a revelation that 25 years, 26 years after I first heard this record, I'm learning more about the evolution of the song and about kind of Tom Petty's process, where he goes, that's a great line, but it doesn't work here. Yeah. And I'm going to make that line work. And then it ended up so much more resonant in the actual song, Crawling Back to You. But uh, I just love that, that you're still learning we are still learning new things about these great albums from decades ago. Right. Great Let's choice. Let's get to the bad shit. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I only have two nominees for Worst Lyricists. Me too. And they dated for a while. <laughs> Funny enough in real life. The nominees are Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rosdale. Yeah. But number one with a bullet has to be Rosdale. Yes. No choice. Gotta be. <laughs> has to be. <laughs> Me too. I mean, he has the memorial namesake for the following category. Australian cryptic bullshit award. My other nominee was Sublime, Bradley Nolan Sublime, because mm. his lyrics offend me more than any others, and they're not good. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, there's offensive stuff on various records throughout here, but they're we generally, are. like Wu-Tang can be very offensive. Oh, yeah. But it's amazing. Whip out your balls and fucking... Well, I don't know if I consider that a lyric, but yes, fair point. Thank you for sharing. But yeah, Bush takes it for me, too. It's got to be Gavin Rosdale. He is horrendous. Now, the question is, does he or someone else deserve the Rosdalian Cryptic Bullshit Award? I only have three nominees. Okay. They are from Mellow Shim Slinky in B Major by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. 
testosterone by <laughs> Bush. It almost like we should almost make that an emeritus yeah. winner because that that <laughs> Yeah. And then uh I'm just a girl. Oh. Yeah, particular I'll I'll just go ahead and read it. It's the the last course where I say, I'm just a girl. I guess I'm some kind of freak because they all sit and stare with their eyes. Sure. Obviously. As opposed to what else are you staring with? Uh-huh, uh-huh, you fucking uh-huh. idiot. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally just put the entire song of testosterone okay. as the winner of the worst lyrics. Is there a good line in there that we, we always cite the same couple lines? Of course, this is the birth of cigarillos and mm-hmm. shave with Gillette. Yep, exactly. Eat a hot dog seven it would in the either be It would either be likes to smoke 10,000 cigarillos <laughs> <laughs> or what does he say? It's something like 7.30 a.m. Hot, hot dog. dog. He goes, hot dog, 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating hot dogs at 7.30 in the morning. (laughs) I'm surprised you put him down for worst vocalist, though, by the way. I got to say. I'm surprised. I mean, I can't really think of that many worse. I would I would rather listen to to Armstrong and Fredrickson over over uh, interesting Rosdale. Imagine imagine Armstrong and Fredrickson singing glycerine. That would actually (laughs) that would would actually suck. (laughs) (laughs) That would be horrible. Oh, God, I'd love it. (laughs) Okay, we talked about some terrible lyrics. Yeah. Ketus and all, all, the, all the bullshit, all the mm-hmm. terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went with Akitas here because I feel like we did not do this song justice. The absurdity of the song Sir Psycho Sexy was <laughs> honestly, I think we took it as a given. We took it as, oh, people know how crazy this is. But like, you know, not everyone has listened to track 16 of Blood Sugar Sex Magic and, right. you know, ever or not in a long time. Like, Sir Psycho Sexy is the most outlandish lyric we've discussed, but we didn't even really discuss it. Oh man! So I, I just got unpack it for for us. the you know for the listeners. I just got to grab this chunk here. <laughs> Deep inside the Garden of Eden, standing there with my heart on bleeding, there's a devil in my dick and some demons in my semen. Good God, that would be treason. <laughs> Believe me, Eve, she gave good reason. Booty looking too good not to be squeezing. Creamy beaver, hotter than a fever. I'm a given, cause she's the receiver. I'm a given because she's the receiver. Oh my God. How could th- that is noteworthy? And how do we not mention that? I just think there was yeah. too many lyrics to talk about on that record. But like, that's a good point. Like, that is top level debauchery right there. Or <laughs> bottom level. And offensive. Deeply offensive. I mean, deeply <laughs> offensive. Just so, I mean, so Creamy gnarly. beaver. Creamy good beaver. God. Yeah, booty looking too good not to be squeezing. But like, devil in my dick and demons in my semen. Good God, no, that would be treason. <laughs> like, that's not even coherent. <laughs> no, no, it makes perfect sense. He's like, I'm, I'm possessed. Ah. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm possessed by something beyond me. It's an evil force that just wants to fuck. Yeah. Okay? No, that would be treason against my body. Mm. So there's a logic to it. So I'm not even saying this is a bad lyric. I'm just saying, like, it's how insane. do we not talk about this fucking lyric? Because <laughs> I listened to that whole song. It came up, and I was like, I'm doing it. It's a pretty long song. <laughs> right. And I listened to it a lot when we were preparing for the episode, and I was just like, Oh, well, this lyric. <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? And I didn't even want to put that much. It just kept going. <laughs> but then later, he does describe his encounter with what he calls a lady cop. And this is pretty clever. He goes, I swatted her like no SWAT team can. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Turned a cherry pie right into jam. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he did it. We may have to rename the award. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing. Like, or maybe we should have the cryptic bullshit award for most meaningless lyric. Right. And then we'll have this for like absurd. Worse. Yes. A, that's like this lyric should not exist. But I just needed to bring attention to the absurdity of it. I'm glad you did. Oh, God. <laughs> Fantastic. 
let's move on to some instrumentalists. What do you say? It's about time. We've talked too much about words. Yeah. Let's get off the mouth. That's right. Let's get to the body. All right, baby. <laughs> Hit me with your nominees for best lead guitarist or guitarist of any of the bands we've talked about. It's a good point. You say or guitarist because, you know, honorable mention here, James Hetfield as a rhythm guitarist. Hell yeah. I mean, no one else on this list can play guitar like he can. He's not the best lead guitarist. No. But his rhythm work is top-notch in that genre and just across music. I agree. That's awesome. Thanks okay. for bringing that up. As for lead guitarist, mm-hmm. came down to three for me. Okay. Trey Anastasio, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty, Heartbreakers, and Rivers. That's awesome. That was my three. Uh, you want to guess who I went with? Trey Anastasio. I did go with Trey. Yes. And it's, it's an odd thing because his playing on Billy Breathes is fine. Mm-hmm. It's good. Right. It's quite good. It's, it's among the best on any of these records, like, for sure. But it's not, not even representative of him as a guitarist. Right. You know, so taking into account, like, just his skill on the instrument. I mean, I have the entire Fish Riffs account dedicated to his guitar playing, basically. Right, like, right. Like, it's something that I obsess over and love. And uh, it wasn't a no-brainer, but he is the best guitarist we talked about. Right. You can make a case that Kirk Hammett is more talented, but he's yep. not a better guitarist because he doesn't, he doesn't have the brain. Right. He's got the chops. He's got the chops. He can shred. He's right. the fastest guitarist, but not the best guitarist. Totally. Trey is the best guitarist and mm-hmm. my favorite guitarist that we talked about. But I always loved Mike Campbell's playing and Rivers, again, one of the reasons I love Blue. His playing. His guitar playing. Totally. I agree. That's awesome. We're finally seeing a little bit of a divide here in our, our category. Cool. A little diversity. I went with Mike McCready of Pearl Jam. Great choice. Rivers, obviously. Trey Anastasio, and Kirk Hammett of Metallica. Those are my four choices. Yeah. And I also went with Trey Anastasio. Wow! Because of the exact reason you said, and also of watching all of your fish riffs <laughs> and hearing how awesome those lines are. It's like, oh, right, yeah, this is by far like the most talented, most creative ability to not only write a fantastic line and sequence, but then execute it as well. So yeah, he's, he's got to win it. Has to be. Worst guitarist? Let's just do it quick. Okay. Let's just do it quick. <laughs> Sounds good. Because I'm curious who would be on your list. I think you know who's on mine. Yeah. I have three nominees, one of which I think you're not going to like very much. So. Okay. Brad Knoll of Sublime. Sure. Nigel Pulsford of Bush. Mm. And Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. <laughs> of course. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah. He serves his music perfectly. Sure. Which is why he's not on my nominations list, but. Yeah. Eventually, I did have to choose my beloved Brad. Yeah. Brad Noll, he's just the worst guitarist we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. He does, like I said, or like you said, or I said, I don't remember who said it, but. Someone said something some, at some point. Exactly. He does the music fine in the, on the record. You know, it gets done. The music gets done. Yeah. There, there are solos. He plays the chords, whatever. But live, it is just horrendous. Yeah. He can't play his instrument when he's not in the studio. Well, he can't play the instrument at all because he's dead. But oh, jeez, <laughs> so is Kirk Cobain. All the shitty guitarists. What does it say? Be better at guitar, people. I don't know about Nigel. Haven't checked his Wikipedia in a while. He may be. He looked pretty old, you know, with that shaved head and the goatee mm. at the time. Uh oh, he looked like death. Yeah. So, anyway. so you went with Brad, and uh, I had let's see one nominee, Brad Knoll, and he wins it. <laughs> no, I agree, Kirk Cobain. I would say this: Kirk Cobain couldn't even play like Brad Knoll. But no. the thing is, his music doesn't require him to. Right. Lead guitar is kind of important to Sublime, and that's why it matters. Right. Whereas John Frusciante played in Sublime, I would like that band infinitely better. 
Totally. I would like that band more than Red yeah. Hot Chili Peppers. Honestly, we probably put a put him as an honorable mention for best guitarist. I that I am just now realizing like fuck. I, I was totally a left out, I literally just left out Frajanta. He's like, yeah. Oh well. He wouldn't have won. He's right. not better than Trey, but he is Honestly, looking at my list, he's like a number two to Trey. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, he wasn't going to make it on my list just because I don't like his solos enough. That's I fair. love his riffs. And, right. I like, no, I like his and again, I like his stuff better subsequently. Right. Like that, that riff on Snow, that oh, is sure. so exhausting. That is, is so yeah. hard to play. So many hammer-ons. Like the left hand is just in so much pain. Absolutely. Anyway, um, so yeah. Let's talk about best guitar solo. Ooh. This is a fun category. Yes. And I'm, after this, by the way, we'll be talking about ra- our raddest riff, which I do think is a different thing. I Yes, I completely agree, because okay. I, I remember seeing that on the notes, and I texted you. I was like, we're doing riff and solo? It's like, no, they are different. Yeah, and I, I basically said, the Enter Sandman intro versus Kirk Hammett's wah-wah solo. Like, right. Two different things. So, And I think that they, you could view them differently. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. Enter Sandman as a whole. Yeah, they serve different purposes. Yeah. All right. So Stop I only have... talking. Chris. <laughs> Let Chris the Younger talk. Please, for once <laughs> in your life. Fuck up. <laughs> okay. Three nominees. I kept it short. I really tried to narrow it down to the three that I thought were absolutely the best. The nominees are the guitar solo of Alive by Mr. Mike McCready. Great. The guitar solo of Nothing Else Matters by James Hetfield. So good. Woman! Do you have a nominee for a favorite running gag, by the way? Oh, that'd be... I mean, it would either be 10,000 Cigarillos or... or Achtung, baby, which isn't even ours. It's not even ours. What about... I think Woman was a good one. Woman, yeah. Also, Stupid Fuck. Oh, yeah. That was fun fuck. for a while. And then No Doubt, which oh, is no doubt. literally just something I always say anyway, <laughs> and turned into a stupid gag. You're a joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that did occur to me, though, because it's funny because there are these pockets of a couple episodes where we do a thing. Yeah, and, and then, then we, we forget, just forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> like months have elapsed. You know? That's so funny. Yeah, that's I'll a good say, point. Sorry, continue with your list. That's fine. It's only one more. It's the Say It Ain't So solo. Of course. It's got to be on the list. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let, let me say my nominees. Okay. Because... We have two of the same, alive and say it ain't so. Nice. For sure. Oh, no, three of the same. Nothing I'm glad is <laughs> Yeah, good. How good is that? Okay. It's good to be king. Mm. Billy breathes. Don't speak. Nice. Paranoid android. Oh, my God. Johnny Greenwood. Sure. And, of course, Beck's tapping solo from Lord of the Lost. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. And then say it ain't so and alive. So what's your winner? Let's say ours at the same time. Three, two, one. Okay. We haven't done this in so long. <laughs> I know. It's about time. We should be doing that for every single one. No. <laughs> no, no. Okay. All right. Ready? We'll say our top on three. Or no. We'll say it on one. Yeah. After one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We're good at this. It has been a while. Okay. Three, two, two one. one. Say Alive. it ain't so. Oh, that was my number two. Darn it. Yeah. Say it ain't so was my number two. <laughs> I love that there's consensus though. Yeah. And I'm glad that we can represent both. Let's yeah. hear some Alive.
baby. It's just oh, so fucking good. That is more epic than their record label. Mm, epic. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but yeah, McCready, I don't generally love his style, but that is his best work right there. Absolutely, yeah. I think he's a great guitarist, by the way. It's just that it's just blues-derived. It's all blues scale. Like, I know exactly where he's coming from. His right. choices are almost made for him by his fingerings, not by his sense of melody. Sure. Which is the opposite of Trey and, well, uh, Trey falls into it sometimes, um, and Rivers. Yes. And that's why Rivers say it ain't so solo. Is still to me the best. Yeah, it was a real tough choice, mm. and I gotta say, nothing else matters. They're like fucking a that, great. that ugh, three. Those, those, I mean, I only chose those three, but like those are like far and away, right? The greatest. I think the most dynamic is Paranoid Android, mm-hmm. and I actually think the most harmonically sophisticated is Billy Breathes, the Fish solo. Now it's not as hummable, but if you were to chart the chord progression happening underneath that solo. And the way it modulates. So much going on. So much going on in the way that he navigates it like a champ. Uh, frankly, he usually botches it live because they play that song like once every couple of years and it's really hard. And like, it, like I've learned the solo. I haven't even done a Fisher of it. I, I should actually. And it's, it's just the way it weaves through the chord progression is just astounding. But to me, hummable, musical, melodic, say it ain't so, solos like that, it's where it's at for me. Sweet. Well, why don't we take it from best solo... To raddest riff. Oh, yeah. Doesn't have to be guitar, although many of these are. Yes, sure. Um, Let's just go back and forth. You say one, I say one, you say one. Just for, for nominees? Yeah. All right, awesome. The intro riff of Enter Sandman. Well, I had that too. Okay, well, then pick a different one, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Machine Head by Bush. Nice. The downward spiral theme. Cool. Wow, what a great choice. Thank Man, you. I did not have that too. <laughs> uh, wherever I May Roam. Nice. The Tragic Kingdom theme, what I would consider. I can't even think. This shows you how not good a riff that is. I don't even know what you're talking about, and I just heard that song this week. Whatever, bro. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a cool song. I just I can't think of what riff you're talking about. Uh, Free by Fish, the arpeggiated. Sweet. Oh, so good. That's awesome. The pre-chorus of Buddy Holly, the hoo-hoo what, with the guitar riff under it. Sure. Like that, that whole composition. I love it. Where it's at. Not Wurlitzer. Hell yeah. Yep. Clarinet intro. Stevens Last Night in Town. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Rhapsody in Blue-esque uh, glissando. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how about some Once by Pearl Jam? Oh, Upon a Time? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm. I, that's it for mine. Okay, I got two more. Give me. Suck My Kiss. Sick. Yes, right? great. My name is Jonas Arpeggio. Love it. Unmistakable. A little bit of variety, a little bit of everything. Heavy, Man. light, piano, guitar whatever the Tragic Kingdom theme is. <laughs> well, guess what? You're about to hear it, because oh. that's my choice. <laughs> 
So not only do you get to hear the theme there, but you also get to hear Tom Dumont's badass solo on top of it. Sure. Did I mention the Don't Speak solo in my solos? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just making sure. I, we, we were <laughs> we just were talking about a lot of stuff. Yeah, you absolutely did. <laughs> okay, good. Because I do like Tom Dumont as a guitarist. So do I. By and large. I agree. Yeah. That's cool. So of all those crazy things, I think the closest number two for me would have been the, the downward spiral theme. Cool. Because I love it so much. Look at you. Yeah. I realized I didn't actually highlight my winner here, and I hadn't decided it. Oh, my God. But I, I will say what it is right now, because I do actually think this is the best, simplest, most distinctive, timeless riff that we've talked about. Machine Head by Bush. Holy shit. I mean, what's not to like about that? Octave guitars, four notes, yeah. chords changing underneath, great feel, great energy, pretty good tone. You're totally right. It's amazing. I'm, yeah, that's awesome. Enter Sandman's a close number two. Very cool. Very cool. Good yeah. choices. Uh, I'm glad we added that, though, because that, I mean, what a nice variety you came up with. That, that, that was really clever. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Let's hit some low end. Let's talk some basis. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do favorite, least favorite, and best bass line. Totally. Okay. Christopher, your nominees for... Favorite bassist. Yeah, this was a fantastic category to come up with because I knew all four right off the bat. This oh, wow. was the first thing I typed up. Tony Canal, no doubt. Matt Freeman, Rancid. Flea, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Robert Sledge, Ben Folds 5. Mm, very nice. Yeah. And I went with Matt Freeman of Rancid. Nice. He's just my favorite bassist. He is my favorite tone. He, I love that he plays with a pick, even though I usually don't like that. Um, I think close second would be Tony Canal. Oh, cool. Funnily enough, both you of those You think Canal's better than Sledge? Or you like him <sighs> better than Sledge? I kind of, I like his tone and feel on really? that better than Sledge, but I think Sledge is more talented as a bassist. Like, yeah. like totally, like all in all, like be, the, his probably ability to read music and his feel and his like rhythm is probably better. Um, Was it the track suits and frosted tips that tilted it closer to Tony? That's exactly right. Okay, yeah. had it's had it's the hairstyle all the way. Yeah, because look at Sledge. I mean, was that a bowl cut? Yeah, fashion over form. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a huge list here. I think we can safely say we talked about some amazing basses. We really have. Like, great basses. Yes. Mike Mills. Yep. Rob Sledge. Mm. Bobby, Bobby S. Bobby S. Maybe Jeff Ament. Oh, yeah. Amazing bass. Holy shit. Like, I have a whole new appreciation for him after the show. I love his bass playing. Flea. Mike Gordon from Fish. Oh, man, yeah. His playing on that record is more subtle than any of these other guys. Right. But I remember pointing out some stuff like on talk and just some subtle little stuff that he does throughout the that I go, man, no other bass on this list could do that or would think to do that, let alone could pull it off. He's just a singular bassist, just like some of these artists are singular creative forces. That's awesome. Speaking of which, here's one. Beck, his bass playing is amazing. Fuck yeah. His bass lines are amazing, mm. right? And Matt Freeman, gotta be on this list. Yeah. And he's my number two. Oh, wow. Because he's so talented and his bass lines are so fun and so great. But I had to go Sledge. Nice. Robert Sledge That's from Ben Folds 5. That's a great choice. And here's why. The role he's forced to play in that band, absent a guitarist, mm -hmm. lead bass. He needs to be more present. It's the most significant role that a bass plays on any of these albums. Oh, wow. And so I had to kind of give that to him. Though Matt Freeman being clearly the best musician in Rancid does a lot of heavy lifting. Exactly. He takes a lot of the lead guitar lines. A lot of the lead guitar lines, and frankly, he's the one that powers those chord progressions that are primarily 
power chords. Exactly. And it's really his bass lines as they walk through scales, and walk through arpeggios. I, I love it. Every time I heard a bass line by him, it excited me. Because it's not just fast. It's the way he's walking. I completely agree. Lead. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because I think he's... I, I think Matt Freeman is incredibly underrated in the bass community. I don't think he's like very really well known. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty underground player, but yeah, like his ability to walk through chords and, yeah. and like you said, lead the progression. He's basically songs. like Mike Mills, the Mike Mills approach, but like for just, punk rock, yeah. Just sped up. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's what I love. And I love Mike Mills as a bassist. He's one of my top 10 favorite bass stylists ever. Sweet. But I don't think that Automatic for the People is the best representation of that. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, in the 80s he had a more stuff. prominent role. Totally. Because the arrangements are so stripped back. It was really just guitar, bass, and drums. Right. And by this point, there's chamber ensemble and keyboards and, you know. Yeah, it was a more mature record. They, they needed less right. rock and roll out of him. For sure. Uh, let's talk great bass lines. Fantastic. I have three uh, honorable mentions or nominees. Yeah. My boy Matt Freeman coming in with Journey to the End of the East Bay. Ooh, baby. Which I know you covered for our Instagram. I love which it. It's so good. The intro to Jeremy, Jeff and Matt. Nice. Had to have it. And the baseline of Give It Away. Hell yeah. So fucking awesome. Those are my those are my top three. Why don't you say yours and then I'll give my award? I've got two Freemans in mine. Oh. <gasps> Maxwell Murder. Yeah. Journey to the end. Are you talking the solo of Maxwell Murder? Or? Yeah, I mean, his playing on it generally is fine, but just the solo really stood it's out. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the greatest punk rock bass solos ever, if not oh, the yeah. best. And it's funny because it's, it's a little ragged. Oh, it's very ragged. But he's, the energy he's is... picking faster than his fingers can move. Yeah, a little bit. You know, but the energy is astounding, and, yep. and, and I still love it. Yeah. It, my, it's I, tough I to still call remember it. the first time I heard it. My oh, jaw really? hit the floor. I was like, this is the coolest fucking <laughs> shit I've <laughs> ever heard. Because it must have felt like when you're like a kid on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I didn't know I could move this fast. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> feel I've like never I'm... heard a bass do that. Exactly. Yeah. I think we all have moments like that in music. Sure. Only in dreams. Baseline. Okay. Okay, fine. A huge baseline. <laughs> I mean, I know, that, I, I mean, know. I'm just fucking with you. It's, it's good. Here's one you like. Sunday morning. Nice. Great baseline. Good choice. Heard it just the other day. That's and I was great, like, yeah. fuck, yeah. That is a really good choice. Killer. And then give it away is on my list as well. No way. You want to guess what my choice is? Hmm. I want to say that it's Journey to the End of the East Bay. You're correct. Yeah, me too. Yeah, baby. Of all, I mean, 273 songs. A lot of bass lines in there. I love that we chose the same one. It's so melodic and so good. It's so good. The rhythm. Mm-hmm. Not just the notes and the chromatic passing tones, but the rhythm, the upbeats, then the articulation, the pull-offs, the hammer-ons, the sliding up, the, I mean, that's top-notch. Even though it's actually not perfect, that execution is not perfect, the conception is the highest level we've heard. That's awesome. I'm really happy to hear you say that. Oh, I loved it. And learning it definitely like, even deepened my appreciation for sure, it. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, sweet. So how about our least favorite basis? I only have, a, I only have one nominee myself. Oh, really? Yeah. Who is it? Matt Sharp. Are you serious? Yeah, he's the worst bassist we talk about. I disagree. Whoa. Wait. And I give Matt Sharp a lot of shit. Wait. Oh, man. Oh, no. Newstead? No. No, okay. I, I don't know. Honestly, like, every bassist is pretty good. Chris Novoselic. Oh. Of Nirvana. That's fair. I think I, I'm not even the biggest Matt Sharp fan, but I think Matt Sharp could have played on in utero just fine yeah 
I don't think that Novoselic's playing is stellar, and I don't think it's challenging, and I don't think it's intricate. Yeah. No, it's not. And I wouldn't call him... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him like my least favorite bassist. We've talked about so many good bassists oh, so many. that it's kind of just like he just like falls to the bottom because he's the most amateurish. Right. That's uh, part of the reason I don't have nominees. It was like, I don't know, Matt Sharp? Exactly. Like, yeah. So but Chris Novoselic is a good choice. He yeah. is not good at bass. Exactly. Yeah, those were my only two was, <laughs> was Matt Sharp and Chris Novoselic, and I chose Novoselic. Okay, cool. So, well, yeah. sorry, Weezer fans. I love Matt Sharp. Again, I love his role in the band. I love his falsettos. Yep. And he serves the band perfectly on bass. But when he's up against these heavy hitters, there's no yeah. way. Exactly. exactly. I mean, and he came up every time. And he was the reason Weezer lost so many rhythm sections. Because if it came down to Pat Wilson, we're going to talk about drummers. He, he, talk about moment. carrying a rhythm section. Jesus. Yeah. Like, totally a one-sided thing. Yeah. It's all about the drums with Weezer on exactly. this record. For sure. Let's get into drummers. Sweet. I'm ready to go. My nominees... For best, this is another one. There's so many good drummers. I know, I My know. God, I I was able to narrow it down to four. Okay, I wasn't. <laughs> Darren Jesse, Ben Folds Five, John Fishman, Fish, Wilson. He made it in. <laughs> he sure did. Dave Grohl, yeah, little guy named Dave Grohl, obviously. Chad Smith, sick. Adrian Young, nice, great drummer, right on. When it comes to favorite, mm hmm. I think this should be a pretty obvious choice. What do you think? Who did I choose? I think you chose Darren Jesse of Ben Folds 5. Of course I did. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite drummers of all time. We've talked about it at length on that episode. We talked about rhythm section and how that collective of Sledge and Jesse. Yeah. So you, you gave yours to Sledge, right? Your bass? I did. Best did, bassist? Did I ever say? Yes, I did. I did Okay, say I thought you did. Because he plays so much lead bass. I did mm -hmm. say that, yeah. Yeah, the people who are listening to the show will have a way better comprehension yeah, we don't know of what the, the points we're, we're giving about. out than us. Uh, okay, so... Benfold 5 steals the category best of a best rhythm section. In both. Hence our conversation about best yeah. rhythm sections of all time. Totally. And hence, no one else, for me, from our 21 records, was sniffing at that list. Right. Fish was the closest. Yep. But no, no, no. Sledge and Jesse. And Jesse's feel and his dynamics and his musicality. Totally. Yeah. He, he is the best responder. Oh, my God. He is the best responding rhythm musician that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, so my list basically similar to yours, just pared down. Pat Wilson of Weezer, Dave Krusen of Pearl Jam, nice. Dave Grohl of Nirvana, and Darren Jesse of Ben Folds Five, of which I also gave the point to Darren Jesse. Wow, cool! Had to have it. Who would be your number two? That's a good question. Probably, probably Dave Grohl. Yeah, just because I'm, I know what he's capable of in sure. his career, uh, and he's just like one of the coolest, badass rock drummers ever. Yeah. But yeah, Darren Jesse for sure, just because he's my kind of drummer. Um, cool. He's just a better version of Pat Wilson, basically, in terms of responding, in terms of like hearing music and, and being able to compliment another musician and, and be the lead when he needs to be and, and pull away and, and just be background when he needs to be as well. So, yeah. Yeah, he's great. perfect. He's great awesome. choice. That's yeah. fun. I love Sweet. the unanimity. 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 Let's real quick talk about worst drummers. Okay. I realized I never wrote one down. So Me I'm gonna... neither, because I literally fuck? can't think of one. Yeah. I went through the whole list. It was like, there is not a bad drummer. <laughs> we haven't talked about a bad drummer. <laughs> I know. Everyone is at the bare minimum competent. Yeah. <laughs> so no award for worst drummer. Congratulations, yeah. drummers. But who was close? I mean, I got two that were close, but I can't. I mean, okay. I don't like the drummer of Sublime. What? <sighs> I like their grooves. I just wish someone else was drumming them. I, I said if Chad Smith was their drummer, again, the grooves would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't love his playing, but he's not bad. Exactly. It's just a, li it's just a little slippery and a little smudgy. Right. 
Uh, the next closest to me, though, was Lars. Oh, wow. Interesting. Because Lars is a, he is a one-note drummer. Yeah, he's a one-trick pony. One-trick pony. And you even listen to the way he plays the ballads. The motherfucker cannot bat. Cannot not bat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that makes him good, in, in my opinion, as a drummer, is his punctuation. Is that even if he's hitting way too hard on a quiet verse. It's in the right part. He's, well, he's still going to crash as an exclamation point as Hetfield's voice rises. Mm. He still is playing to the vocalist and to the song. And so you can't even say he's playing like this robotic heavy drum machine. Yeah, true. It, he's actually still trying to be musical such as he's capable of. Or such as, frankly, I think that he's developed this style because it, it's what was expected of him. And it's the nature of the music that they make, even when it's a ballad. You That's know? awesome. So, so Lars was the next closest. But I agree. I never even wrote one down. So we'll say Lars, but nah. I will not say Lars. I will say no bad drummers. <laughs> I totally slept on this category, by the way. I, I realize I must not have finished my notes here. Because I only have one choice for favorite drum beat. And I'm sure there's a million great choices. You know what's so funny? Some. I really struggled with this category as well. Okay. Uh, for, for best drum beat. But I'm curious to hear yours. Uh, I went with Scentless Apprentice. That's awesome. I put that as a nominee. Oh, good. Yeah. It really is. That's badass drowning. Really is. Uh, the other two nominees would be It Could Be Sweet by Portishead. Oh, the drum programming. Yep, which I, I love that drum beat so much. And uh, Breaking the Girl, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Cool. Yeah. Great 6-8 feel. Yeah. Just badass. But funnily enough, not even played by a real drummer, I went with the drum beat of It Could Be Sweet. Every time I hear that drum beat, I'm just like, yup, I'm into this song. Wow. I'm into this song. That may be the most surprising choice yet. Right? Yeah. Yeah, kind of a sleeper. Because uh, I was just like listening through and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's Because <laughs> that's like, I'm always doing it like on my steering wheel as I'm driving. I'm just like, mm, I love it. So we talked bassist, we talked drummer. Let's talk about the combo platter. Let's do best groove. Yeah, this is a good one. This is really tough. I only came up with two options. I'm sure you probably have more. I have a couple. Yeah. Okay, awesome. It could be sweet by Portishead. I was going to say, you almost should have saved that for groove. For groove, right? But I agree. It's a great groove. Okay, so there's that one. And then, on a totally different playing field, Selfless, Cold, and Composed by Ben Folds 5. Wow. I think we have a different definition of groove. What is your definition? Well, I was just thinking like something you could really kind of dance to and bop to. Right, I got you. You could waltz to mm-hmm. Selfless Cold and Composed, but yeah. I'm not sure you could groove I'm thinking to like it. groove of like just like the cohesion of, of bass and drums. Oh, okay. Together. See, I would say that's pocket. Mm. Uh, and I yeah, think yeah, a groove yeah. has a pocket, but a pocket isn't necessarily a groove. I got you. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's... A, but that's cool. I mean, I, like, believe me, this is all open to your interpretation, so that's cool. So what was your choice? It could be sweet. Okay. <laughs> I gave it best drum beat and best groove. That's cool. Uh, it's a great groove. But I mean, all right, fine. Let's just say Breaking the Girl is best <laughs> drum beat and, and, and uh, it could be sweet. Right, best I feel groove. better about that now. Good. Uh, thank yeah. you. You love the 6-8, by the way, apparently. I do. <laughs> uh, so for my grooves, mm-hmm. I've got a Portis head on there. Strangers. Nice. Nice yeah. heavy groove. When, when those drums kick back in after they come out, oh, man. I know that's, exactly what you're that's talking the good about. stuff. It is. Ready Made by Beck. Mm. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right on. The song. Yep. Title track. Yeah. Uh, Airbag by Radiohead. 
Yeah. That cut and paste style mm. of, uh, of basically looping real drums. Yeah. But that combined with Colin Greenwood's bass line. Whew, that's good stuff. Notice we didn't talk about Colin Greenwood or Phil Selway. I don't think either of them are at the top of their bass and drum categories. But Together their combination on airbag special. is pretty great. And I had to go with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Wow. That's one of my favorite drum beats. Now that's a pocket. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I just love Chad Smith's work there. The kick drum coupled with the open hi-hats and their placement and just the way the band really locks in. And it's the perfect tempo. Mm. You play that any faster, it's not quite as good. It's like the that's perfect really good point. tempo. Yeah. So right that on. I almost just made that category to have an excuse <laughs> to talk about that. That's group. funny. That's awesome. I'm glad you did. Yeah. I, see, like I got love. I've got love for a lot of things about Red Hot Chili Peppers. Absolutely. Yeah. They're I'm so like defensive about it. I don't want to people think that I hate this music. No. That, Lots of love. I think that's totally fine. So up next, let's get into how these records sound a little bit. Mm. And we will talk about our favorite sounding record actually in the next portion of the program where favorite we talk about the sounding. albums themselves. But right now, I want to talk about this because I think this is a skill unto itself. The best production job. Yeah. Because this may be different than what record sounds the best. So the best job producing a record. And I'll say my nominees first. Okay. Nigel Godrick. Okay, computer. Rick Rubin, Wildflowers. The Dust Brothers, Odelay. Trent Reznor, Downward Spiral. And then the fellows from Portishead. Very nice. Best production job. This is a really hard category. It is, because I think that all of those are masterful. Yes. I had to go with the Dust Brothers here. Ah, for Odelay. Yes. Nice. Simply because of how difficult it must have been to juggle those samples. Now, Wu-Tang and the RZA is close here, too, because I think right. I, I love the way that he puts together samples, and I love the way his records sound. Yep, analog. Yeah, it, you know, it, even though it is digital technology and he's using digital samplers, it's it has a dustiness to it, and it has a texture to it that you don't always hear in hip-hop. Mm. So I do love that. So RZA actually is a nominee, too. I don't, I don't know why I didn't write him down, but when it comes down to it, though, the sheer volume of musical snippets and loops and samples that the Dust Brothers and Beck and uh, Mario Caldado Jr., who's another person who was also involved in engineering and producing that record, just what they did with them and the music that they made out of those disparate pieces. I mean, I'm not sure another of those producers that I named could do that. Hmm. Could even do Maybe Trent Reznor could. And maybe now Portishead could. But like when it comes to sample-based music and music that used loops, Odile's on a different plane than Dummy. Now, yes. I love how Dummy sounds, but I don't think it was necessarily a hard thing to produce. I agree with that. So, so best production job, Dust Brothers, Beck, Mario Caldato Jr., Odile. Hell yeah. I did not write down the people because I'm stupid. <laughs> That's okay. Portishead's Dummy. Trent Reznor's Downward Spiral. Yeah. Beck's Odile. Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers. And Radiohead's OK Computer. Great. So very similar list. Yeah, exactly. And I basically had a very similar thoughts to you in terms of the how complex and how many moving parts were arranged, mm. but not due to samples, due to original content. And yeah. that's why I went with Downward Spiral. Great choice. Yeah. It was very, very close. It was either going to be Odelay or Downward Spiral. I also love the fact that Dummy was produced fully analog. 
every sample that they decided to use was recorded either on a drum machine or a real drum or playing onto a record and then the record was artificially weathered and then played. Distressed like a, a pair of American Eagle jeans. Precisely, or I was going to say <laughs> Urban Outfitters, but yeah, close <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Downward Spiral was my number two as well. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and Two remarkable production jobs, truly. And that brings to mind the next category, most imaginative record. The best mm. creativity. Yeah. Ex- we didn't even talk about worst production job. Oh, I, I didn't, didn't even, even I didn't even note that. But oh, easy peasy, jagged little pill. Sucks ass. Oh yeah, my least favorite. Yes, yeah, true. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Hate the production job. <laughs> Dated as fuck. Yeah, Glenn Ballard. You're I mean, a real top-notch producer and songwriter. Terrible sounding record. Yeah, exactly. Boo hiss. Anyway, yeah, most creative artist. Yeah. This Very is, similar overlap. Kind of, you know, it's kind of redundant, but it did enable me to actually give Reznor my point here. <gasps> So it was. It came down to Beck, Reznor, and Portishead for me, as far as awesome. the most imagination showed. Obviously, Radiohead, OK Computer, you could say it too, but I, I honestly think that still when it comes down to it, OK Computer is a band record. Mm-hmm. And what these three, Beck, Nine Inch Nails, and Portishead have in common is they're really products of the studio. Right. And products of the mind of the creators. Correct, yeah. With very little precedent. The reason RZA isn't on this is like, we know what hip hop was by 1993. Mm-hmm. You know, we we knew what it was. Like other hip hop didn't necessarily sound like Wu Tang, right? Th- yeah. But it was still making hip hop. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was it was the lyrics that really elevated it, and and then just maybe like the overall textured tone. Like I said, but when it comes down to Beck Odelay, songs like that didn't really exist. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, Downward Spiral. There were other industrial bands, but none Nothing with the so. variety and depth and kind of abusive talk about distressed i mean those are some distressed sounds and i feel like this was an aesthetic completely of trent reznor's making he built it out of nothing yeah and so that's why i had to give it to him because it was it's a complete vision too lyrically exactly artwork everything, everything. the whole thing yeah so we always talked about these singular artists and I, and beck and trent reznor are at the top of that list for me trent reznor wins it for me but i kind of split the point a little bit that's totally fair uh, I basically have all your same plus a few. Beck, Portishead, Trent Reznor, Radiohead, and Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. Uh, ba- basically, yeah. I think Wu-Tang took an existing genre and made something different of it. Like, they did their own thing, and there was no hip-hop at the time that sounded like that hip-hop. Granted, it's in that record, but I had to, I had to mention them for that. Same thing with Radiohead. There are band records that exist, but none that quite incorporated the use of electronics yeah, and the use of yeah. like looping the kind, the kind of the way the Radiohead did. Um, but like you said, the top three choices were Beck, Portishead, and Nine Inch Nails because nothing else sounded like that. Uh, and I also went with Trent Reznor. Nice. Yeah, yeah. he's just MVP in, as a producer and as a song creator and as a creator, period. You know, it's funny. If you think like outside of the people we've talked about, people who would be like on that level, you know what I mean? I'm thinking like uh, Beyonce, yeah, Childish Gambino, like people who yeah. are creating more than just the music. Well, honestly, weirdly enough, I would have to say above those two for modern people is Kanye, mm. because again, he's actually a, he's a producer, right? Yeah, not just a songwriter, not just an MC, but he he came up as a producer, and his brand of hip hop, nothing sounds like that, mm. particularly post Jesus, like or beautiful dark twisted fantasy, like. There's records that he's made that literally, like, even though they're of the hip hop genre, like, again, he rewrote it. Yeah. And I don't think that that's necessarily true of 
Beyonce, she's just like the best at it. Right. I'm thinking more of just like the grand scope of the creativity, like the, the choreography, the, films, the looks, the, the films, choreography, yes. the 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 shows, the yeah. the dancing, the performances. Like, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I that's where Gambino comes in in terms of just like creating a fucking like universe yeah, within right. an album and like movies that go along with it and the story and and the lyrics and literally everything. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny, and talking about Beck, too, uh, I just heard a great interview with Pharrell, who recently collaborated with Beck on his yeah. album Hyperspace from last year. He was on Broken Record with Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. and they were talking, and Rubin was just kind of shooting him tracks, like, hey, listen to this track that you worked on. Let's talk about it. And Pharrell was like, listen, people take Beck for granted. People need to know how much of a genius that guy is. People don't comprehend the level he's working on. Man. And his taste and his ability to be like, that works, that doesn't, I know what I'm going to do with that. And it's almost like he has this whole vision, wow. you know? And then like casually, he's like, I mean, the dude made new pollution. <laughs> he made new pollution. I mean, the new pollution, man. <laughs> like it was like, like it was stairway like, to heaven. But you know I, I mean? would argue that I like <laughs> new well, pollution yeah. better than stairway It was just funny because you could tell Ruben was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I could tell Ruben was like, I think I know that song. You know, because it was, a, you know, we talked about it. It was a single, but it's not like it hasn't endured, even though it's fucking amazing. Oh, it is so and good. just to hear Pharrell, the only track that he referenced was, I mean, he did new pollution. That's so funny. So funny. That's amazing. Yeah, good taste, Pharrell. Hell yeah. But Pharrell's another one of those guys, too. Oh, Daft Punk's like that, too, mm. by the way. You mm-hmm. know, like, I, I, you know, because he collaborated with them. Um, anyway, that's an interesting topic. Heck yeah. Okay, uh, we probably should have put this one right after we finished Best Groove and, like, talked about instrumentalists, but. Let's talk about best overall band musicianship, the combination mm. of vocals, vocal arranging, guitar playing, bass playing, keyboards if there are, drums. What is the best band of players? Chris, get us started. There are a lot to choose from. A lot of amazing, cohesive bands that we've talked about. And I have six total choices, six honorable mentions or nominees to choose from. Cool. Weezer, absolutely. Even with Sharp. Even with Sharp. I, I think as a band, even with Sharp, Weezer deserves a, a nod. No Doubt as well. R.E.M., Pearl Jam, Fish, and Ben Folds 5. I'm, I'm surprised to see R.E.M. on that list, too. Really? Peter Buck can't play guitar solos. Bill Berry's like not really much of a drummer as far as a standout drummer. He hasn't come up once on this conversation. Right. Mike Mills is a great bassist, but again, on that record, eh. So that's why I'm surprised. I love their musical taste and their musical creativity. I just okay. don't necessarily love them as players. That's fair. Besides well, Mills. They did not win. I had <laughs> if that hug. makes you feel any better. <laughs> it makes you feel great. Um, but yeah, of those six, I think one was, it was blatantly obvious. Ben Folds 5, baby. <laughs> It's a great choice. Thank you. Were you seem surprised. You feel like I was going to say someone else. I thought it was between one of two. I bet you thought I was going to say Fish, didn't you? Let's talk about my nominees. Oh, boy. <laughs> Fish. Uh-huh. Ben Folds 5. Yeah. I can't believe you didn't go here. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, they are pretty impressive. They are a much better band than R.E.M., for instance. I prefer mm. R.E.M., but as far as players, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah, you're right. Fuck, I'm an idiot. No, you're not. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. I'm I just, kidding. you yeah. love them, so I'm just surprised. It's true. Yeah, no, you're right. I would argue they're better than No Doubt, too. I like No Doubt. Mm-hmm. But I would take Frusciante over Dumont and Flea over Canal mm. and Smith over Young. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's me, though. That's me. I know you love your No Doubt. <laughs> and my uh, fourth nominee is Pearl Jam. Nice. Because that was a fucking raging band at that time. Seriously. They still are. But I yeah. mean, like, boy, they, they were all great players. Yeah. So basically full overlap minus yeah. RCP. But I had to give it to Fish. Mm-hmm. I knew you would. Degree of difficulty. The fact of you put some of the Fish 
songs, not just from Billy Breeze. We're talking about overall band musicianship in front of a band like Ben Folds Five, as great as they are, and they could not physically play them. It's true. They could not do it. Not just because they don't have a guitarist, but because they're so complex and traverse so many different type signatures and are so large in scope. So the things that I know Fish to be capable of transcend every other competitor from this field. That's a really good point. Again, Ben Folds is tighter, more dynamic, more human, more swing. There's a lot that I like about Ben Folds 5 that's better than Fish, but I'm saying Fish are actually better players. Right. Yeah. And it's fun when you're debating between two bands that are like among your favorite bands ever. True. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Do you want to do worst musicianship? You can if you want. I I actually didn't write anything down. I'm surprised. I feel like for you it would be obvious. Yeah, it's probably Sublime. Yep. Yeah. Mine was between Sublime or Bush, and I went Bush. Okay. Just because it's a bunch of blah, blah, blah. Honestly, or Nirvana, to be quite frank. Sure, but Grohl elevates. It's like a, you know. Exactly. What's the high tide lifts all ships? I've never heard that Boats. High tide lifts all Dingies. boats. <laughs> a high tide rises to the <laughs> a high tide rises to lift the buoys. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. Um, here's a fun one. Okay, two parter. Which of these bands would you most like to see live that you have not? That's very good. And also ne- necessary in here is which bands have you seen live of these twenty one? Which bands have you actually seen in concert? Because I don't know. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's an odd thing. I always write in my notes like stories about seeing some of these artists live, and it very rarely comes up, and I don't like to just like force feed stories in there. Right. You know, and so it rarely comes up, but I thought this is a fun thing because I do think it's telling of how we feel about a band. Like, man, I wish I had seen, or I wish I will see, or, mm-hmm. you know. Totally. Um, so the bands that I have seen, if you count Bad Fish as Sublime, then I've seen Which, of them. course, I do. Yeah. Seen them seven times. Better, yeah. So Bad Fish... <laughs> I've also seen No Doubt, and I've seen Weezer. When did you see No Doubt? I, I saw No Doubt. I was in high school, and they uh, opened for The Offspring. They opened for The Offspring? Yeah. It was this is cool. post-rock steady, and they were opening for The Offspring? Yep. So weird. It was crazy. This must have been like 2010, 2009, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. O- odd time. It was right after Offspring had come out with uh, Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace, which had... I've never heard that name before. Yeah, in my life. it's honestly a pretty good record. Better than Americana. Noodles was at his absolute peak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about noodles. Oh, noodles, man. Yeah. Just to say noodles over and over again is going to be a joy. I love noodles. So that those three, that's it? Those are the only three that I've of seen. And technically, Sublime doesn't even count. So you've only seen I've two never, of the bands. I've never even really seen Sublime. And Weezy, you only saw two years ago with me. Exactly. Okay, so this is going to be really fun. What are the bands, like, it, they could be live or dead, whatever. Like, which band did you right. wish you could see live? Could see live? Amazingly, I've never seen Rancid. And I've always, oh, weird. always wanted to. They've just never been around when I, when I could see them. Uh, Beck, obviously, I want to see live. Cool. Um, most importantly, uh, Tom Petty, because oh. I never got the chance to, and now I never will. So that would be a huge, oh. obviously big. Uh, R.E.M., never have I seen R.E.M., right. which would be incredible. Uh, and Ben Folds Five, huh. which I and most of these I probably won't get a chance to. I know that's painful. Or like, right? like at least in their prime. Like I'll never say, like I want to see REM like Murmur era. That's <laughs> sure. what I want. Sure. Um, and then honestly, I put another one that we haven't even talked about yet, but that's literally always been on the top of my list forever. Is Rage Against the Machine. Mm. 
Um, and we'll get to talk about that next season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they are like, I hate that I've never seen them and probably never will. And then they announced in 2020 that they're going to do the reunion tour. And I was like, fuck yeah. And then fucking 2020 sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and canceled every show. I still have my tickets to see Tom York. Right. <laughs> which technically could have gone on this list. Oh, that's because that was supposed to be in April. I'm of surprised this year. Radiohead is is not on your list of bands you'd like to see live. Because right, that's a good point. That's a yeah. great live. They're band. on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm adding them. Okay, good. Oh, weirdly, I've seen the Night Watchman live, but I never <laughs> saw Rage Against the Machine. No shit. Tom Morello oh, solo. Oh fuck yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> a couple times. I'm so jealous. You know, he's toured with the Indigo Girls before Tom Morello as a guitarist or yeah. opening. Yeah, as as, as a guitarist in their band. Wow. Yeah. He also toured with the E Street Band. No way. Filling it for little Steven Van Zandt. That's crazy. When Van Zandt was filming, uh, not Copenhagen. What, you know, what's that show? He, he's the lead actor on the first ever Netflix original. Oh, Lily my Hammer. Lily Hammer. That's little Steven. <laughs> and so I think he was filming that or The Sopranos. Oh, and my God. And Morello toured with the Easter Band. That's so in funny. In his stead. Wow. Like they need another guitarist. They already have Nils Lofgren and Bruce fucking Springsteen. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm curious to hear yours. Yeah. How many of these bands do you think I've seen? Well, I know Fish <laughs> a bazillion times. Uh, I would assume Radiohead, you've seen. Just guess a number. Okay. Of 21. I'm going to say eight. Nine. Ah, oh, so close. You know, because I, I realized I forgot to put Weezer on this list. Because <laughs> I have Fair seen enough. Weezer. So I have seen Metallica, Great Story, Bonnaroo, 2008. I was mm. working it. I was on the film crew, but not filming. I was a PA. With Danny Clinch, uh, Three on the Tree. And they were playing the main stage, headlining, of course, one of the nights. And I just walked up on stage. And I was not working that set. And normally that means like steer clear, like you don't need to be up there. But I was just like, Metallica's playing right now in front of 70,000 people. And I just walked up on stage and literally sat next to Lars's drum tech while Metallica played for 70,000 people. Holy shit. And I just basically watched Lars the whole time. And in between songs, he would like duck behind this large road case and just like pound water and spit and just like wipe himself down with a towel and then like bounce back up and be like, all right, it's time for me to kick in on one, you know, oh <laughs> here we go, God. or the Unforgiven or whatever. Like, so for that to be the one way I ever saw Metallica, pretty cool. That's amazing. On stage, amazing. looking out at 70,000 people. Wow. That's crazy. So anyway, Metallica, I won't tell a story like that for everyone, but that's just a cool one. Seriously. R.E.M., my mm. second concert ever, 1995, wow. Monster Tour. Mm. Providence Civic Center now scary. the Dunkin Donuts super scary the scary one and I was scared and I was so excited that I vomited in the bathroom I later saw them in 2003 at uh, Great Woods as well mm. Pearl Jam nice. who I only saw for the first time in 2003 I didn't see them in the 90s wow. uh, for whatever reason but uh, yeah I did see them there and I also headlined a Bonnaroo one year and got to see them there Tom Petty mm. also headlined Bonnaroo my second night ever 2006 only time I ever saw him. So glad I did. Stevie Nicks came out and sang with him. Oh, my God. A little band called Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen 25 times since 1999. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that anymore. I will mm. see them again. Great. Radiohead. <sighs> so jealous. First started seeing them in 2001. I've probably seen them eight times or something. Saw them a couple of years ago at the Garden. Amazing shows. Uh, also saw them headline Bonnaroo 2006, which is one of the more legendary 
Radiohead performances ever. Yeah. I they... would say the fact that you have worked Bonnaroo so many times means that you've seen so many fucking bands. Yeah, right. And bands I wouldn't necessarily buy a ticket to see, like exactly. Tool and stuff. Like right. bands I really like, but I would never be like, oh, Tool's coming to town. Like, let me spend $100 Talk to see them. Th- yeah, expensive tickets too. Oh, for sure. You know, Kanye, people like that. Like where it's like, oh, cool, I'm there and I'm like working and just kind of chilling on the side of the stage. <laughs> it is pretty sweet. I did see Ben Folds actually, not Ben Folds 5. He played Bonnaroo solo one year. And uh, I remember just sitting right behind him on the side of the stage, like between him and his monitor mixer, just like, oh, there's Ben Folds. Like, this is amazing. And he played Ben Folds 5 songs. It was great. That's so cool. Yeah, coolest job ever. Nine Inch Nails. Saw them on the Fragility Tour 2000. Wow. Awesome. And then I I saw Beck. Beck, when I first saw him in 2000, Midnight Vultures Tour, for like a decade after, I'd always just say, oh, that's the best rock show I've ever seen. Like, there was jam shows that I would see that transcended it because of the improvisational element stuff. But seeing Beck perform with a great band, crazy visuals, crazy music, Midnight Vultures. And he was like, you know, one of my guys from the 90s. And this was like right at the end of that. And oh my God, it blew my mind. It stayed with me for years. I've seen him several times since. Saw him in 03. He played Bonnaroo 06. I filmed him at the Folk Fest. Oh my God. I forgot. I literally forgot. 2013 maybe? Holy shit, man. Yeah. And You've I done rem- it all. I remember we weren't allowed to be on stage. So I had to go out into the crowd with my camera and to a monopod. And I filmed him there. Wow. And uh, it was a great set. It was really amazing. And it was a cloudy day. And towards the end of the set, he was headlining on Sunday. And the sun started coming out. And he started playing his song from Sea Change, Sunday Sun, just as the clouds parted. And I was able to kind of pan from him out to the bay facing west as the sun came. It was... That's insane. It was amazing. What the fuck? Same thing happened, by the way, when Roger Waters played and I was filming. I was also facing west. And they're playing Brain Damage Eclipse. And then you turn and look to the water because it's Roger Waters. (laughs) Holy shit. That's insane. And there was a wave. That's insane. And it turned pink. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, but it was a really rainy set. But when they were playing Brain Damage Eclipse, all of a sudden, the clouds parted in sun rays. Wow. And in our little documentary from that year that Newport put out, that's the last shot. It's just panning up from Roger Waters' stage up to... It's one of the best shots I've ever got. It's so cool. That's anyway. so awesome. But notable exceptions here on this list that I have not seen. Nirvana, I was too young. Ben Folds 5, I just never had the opportunity, and then they broke up, and I kind of slept on their reunion. And I wish I didn't, because I actually love their reunion record uh, more and more. Fiona, I totally slept. Mm. I totally slept. Well, I'll say this. I loved Fiona Apple. She came to the Orpheum in February of 2000 with E from the Eels opening. The next month, I got my first Eels record, and it changed my life. Electroshock Blues. We will talk about it on this show sometime. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Also produced by Mike Simpson from the Dust, Dust Brothers. Dust, from the Dust Brothers. But anyway, she had just come around on the When the Pawn Tour with E opening. Oh, my God. And I missed it by a month. That's Because if it was a month later, I'd, I would have been there. Yeah. Like, absolutely. So I just fucking, oh, that hurts me that I didn't see that show. And the most glaring omission, and weirdly the one that I hope to remedy though I've slept on it every opportunity, you 2 Oh, man. I've never seen you 2 And they're not my favorite band that I mentioned, like Ben Folds 5. Like, I like those bands better. But to see them live, mm. to be in an arena with Where the Streets Have No Name, yeah, with Beautiful Day, with some of moment. these songs, yeah. even if they're like, I mean, Beautiful Day, I mentioned, that's not like my favorite U2 song, but like but it's the an epic power song, yeah. of that fucking music. Yeah. So I, uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Like, yeah. I want to be in a Vertigo. room with... Vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> Elevation. I want to be in a room with that music someday. I don't blame you. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to, but I don't blame you for, for want, feeling that well, way. Well, clearly I feel the same because, I, I mean, they've been around a lot in the last 
20 years yeah, that I've been talk about expensive fucking tickets yeah too. that's the thing I'm like oh, really like 150 bucks to just get in the door I, right. I'm set you know yeah. which actually leads perfectly into our next category beautiful and this was a great suggestion by our friend Music Lives 4 sorry I don't know your that's name that's Tommy Tommy okay yeah. awesome thanks dude uh, the most successful post 90s career both creatively and commercially two mm. separate categories yeah I think it's two separate answers too best post 90s career and I have two separate bands for both categories. Okay. Creatively, in their post-90s career, I would say either Radiohead, Beck, or Fiona Apple. Yeah, great. Just because mo- a lot of these bands either stopped making music after the 90s or stayed exactly the same. Yeah. Um, it's actually sad that some of these bands didn't have a bigger career. Right. Or didn't make more music of the same quality or, sure. you know, it yeah. broke up, whatever, right. died. I mean, just, it sucks, you know? Right. But in terms of, of changing changing with the times and continuing to stay creative, yeah. two obvious choices out of the three, Beck or Radiohead, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a coin flip, For but it came down to be, personally, I went Radiohead. Sure. To, to, to release Kid A and release In Rainbows yeah. and release Moonshade Pool, three completely different yeah. records that are all fucking gold. Absolutely. And people love Hail to the Thief, too. I, I think it's great. But yeah, it's, Tito, it's not Tito really team. loves Hail to the Thief. Great. And she plays it all the time, so I hear it all the time. But it, it would not be in my, my tier of like top three Radiohead, yeah. but it would be top five. Yeah, it came down to me. To I think Beck's a great choice, but uh, weirdly to me, it was Fiona or Radiohead. Mm. And I went with Radiohead, because Fiona just doesn't have enough. She's got three great records since 2000, but it's right. been 20 years. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Extraordinary yeah. Machine. Quantity. Idler Wheel, and obviously the most recent, Fetch the Bolt yeah, Cutters. Cutter, yeah. One of the best records to come out in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe the same amount of great records as, as Radiohead, but Radiohead just has more. And I do think that they've evolved. Exactly. You know, and Kid A's case in point, the mm-hmm. follow-up to OK Computer could not be really any more different than OK Computer. Right. And yet it's still a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be Radiohead when it comes to creative success. Does that translate to commercial success, Christopher? No. I agree. <laughs> Not really. No, Radiohead, I would say, is very commercially successful. Yeah. To sell out multiple nights at Madison Square Garden. Exactly. You know, like- exactly. I have four four options for commercial success. I, I would put Radiohead as like a fifth, uh, but the four, U2, Pearl Jam, Fish, and Red Hot Chili Peppers would be the most commercially successful currently. Cool. Post-90s. My list is similar. Okay. Red Hot Chili Peppers and you too. Mm-hmm. And then, weirdly, two individuals. And I think you'll understand why. Trent Reznor. Mm. Like Nine Inch Nails, sure. Trent Reznor has had a very commercially successful yeah, and yeah, creatively yeah. And, and critically successful last uh, 20 years. And Gwen Stefani. Oh, wow. Is a huge star. I didn't even think about that. Between The Voice and her solo career and, and the, the No Doubt stuff. Sure. So they're all on the list. Th- those two did not win, but I wanted to mention that. That's a really good point. I completely forgot about Gwen. Because they're two examples of, even though they were very successful in the 90s, they are more famous now. Right. Or better regarded. Yeah. I mean, Gwen Stefani's in fucking commercials. Yeah. Gwen Stefani's like a legit like pop icon. Right. Exactly. Know? So who wins? You too. I agree. They sell out arenas all the time. How amazing is this? That we're this in sync? No. Well, yes. But this band formed in 1977? Right. Released the first record in, what, 79, 80? The fact that they're the most successful band of these 21 since 2000? And it's like almost a no-brainer? I know. 
That's it's, insane. It sucks because, yeah, the 90s was kind of like this microcosm. Like, there's so much that, like, happened in it that didn't transcend. Yeah. You know? It's amazing because U2's peak was the 80s. Right. They had a second peak there with Zoo TV, Octung Baby, 91, 92, Zuropa, slightly less so, and then just dropped off. Mm-hmm. But all that you can't leave behind in 2000, exactly. beautiful day. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. Elevation. How Dismantle was pretty big too. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, their, their last several records have not been as successful, but they still, what, two, three years ago, went out and toured the Joshua Tree. Yeah, on its Joshua Tree reunion, which everybody and their fucking mother is going to go see. Yeah, which like I can't believe I didn't go to that fucking show. That that's like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. Um, but like they are still an arena and stadium rock band of the highest order, and you can't say that about anyone else except maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers. True. You yeah, know? those were those were the two. And here's what that came down to: I had to check to see if Californication came out in '99 or 2000. If it came out in 2000, I may have gone Peppers, mm. but it came out in '99. So I, you know, like Stadium Arcadium was great and all, but I really think that was probably their last big commercial moment with new material. Am I wrong? I I may be no. wrong because I don't know their output enough. No, but that had Danny California and stuff, yep, right? Yep. Yeah, but like it, after yeah, honestly, after Stadium Arcadium, they haven't really had. Anything. They have records, but they like, have records, but nothing huge. Yeah, and they can still tour arenas, and yeah, they're they're a big international band. But yeah, I think the promise of that millennial period where it was like, oh yeah, they're still they're got back, it, yeah. and they're back, and Frusciante's back. Mm-hmm. I I think they I don't think they squandered it because I mean again. They performed on the Super Bowl halftime show not exactly. too long ago. Like, no other band besides you 2 can say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Petty did it. But, like, you know, it's not like Radiohead's going to play the Super Bowl halftime show. Weezer ain't. No. Nope. They played the, the Winter Classic halftime <laughs> oh show, as we've god. talked about. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, great, great category there, It Tom. really Thank is. Thank you yeah. for that. So we have one last category, one sort of cumulative push that this entire portion has been leading to before we close out this little part of the, the awards ceremony. And that's the, so to speak, Best picture. Who is our favorite band? Cumulative career. All time. All time. Whether they started before the 90s, are still making music, like entire encompassing career. Who is our, Christy Elder and Christy Younger's favorite band? Of, of these all 21. The 21 bands that we've talked about so far. Um, okay. Six choices. Six choices for favorite total band ever of these 21. Oh, I have six too. Awesome. Mine are. Oh, no, seven. <laughs> Because you forgot Weezer. <laughs> no, no, Weezer's on there. Weezer's on there. <laughs> okay. R.E.M., Weezer, Tom Petty, Rancid, Ben Folds 5, and Radiohead. Nice. Yeah. Tough category. But when we come down to quality and quantity mm. and the fact that there is so much and such a diverse platform of music with basically nothing bad out of that massive catalog, Radiohead, favorite act. It's tough to deny, right? Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I didn't even start listening to them until like four years ago. I was going to point that out, that it's, it's kind of cool yeah. to have a band that late. And you know, oftentimes we just attach to these things. We love when we're young and we kind of hang with them. And mm-hmm. this is the Weezer fan play. Yeah. It's justifying. It's, I mean, it's the Phantom Menace effect, right? It's like, no, mm. no, 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 this is good, this is good. <laughs> The point is, Radiohead's good enough that you don't need to get into them when you're 12 to love them. Exactly. Yeah. They, they are a remarkable band. Yeah. yeah. Incredible creative minds all working together with brilliant musicianship just to create incredible stuff. And the crazy part is, favorite band, not of just these 21 bands. Like, I would put Radiohead top five all time. Cool. Ever. Ever. So, it was pretty obvious. I would say, like, right behind them, 
total career would be like Tom Petty. Yeah. I was wondering which way you were going to go as you started setting it up. I was like, I'm thinking Radiohead. This could be Petty. It, it was very close. Because you talked about the vast I, collection and then variety and yeah. stuff. And I do think that, that, that fits. And I think Tom Petty's the same way. Like, you don't have to grow up with Petty to love him. He's, he's an evergreen songwriter. Yeah. Timeless music. But I did grow up with Petty. That's the difference. Yeah, right. I've, I've yeah. had Petty since I was like as long as I can remember. You'll never not love Petty. Exactly. But you probably have a deeper connection to the Radiohead music. I guess so, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. I don't know why. You're so alienated and yeah, <laughs> morose. And, right. Like I said, I hate myself. And <laughs> Radiohead really helps me you know, see that. You said that off mic, but I, 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 it's good that the people know that now. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> so my nominees, a lot of them are the same. I'm very curious. Radiohead, of course. Mm-hmm. Fish, of course. Obviously. Ben Folds 5. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that they made Batting it. average for days. True. Weezer. Awesome. <laughs> Batting average uh, for uh, milliseconds. <laughs> <laughs> R.E.M. Nice. Tom Petty. Sweet. Fiona Apple. Oh, yeah. Batting average for days. Yeah. And I've been on board since seeing a preview of her first record and her singing Shadowboxer on Tap of the Soren Week and Rock. Oh, cool. Or like, or like you know, a, a MTV News Brief back in probably 96. And I was just like... Who's that? That's an amazing voice. That's an amazing looking person. I, I, I'm excited about whatever this is. And she released my favorite record of this year. So like that speaks to something. So basically we have identical lists. You just put Fiona Apple instead of Rancid. And Fish on mine as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my friend. Just kidding. No, it's okay. I think I know. Who's it between? This is hard. I would say it's between Fish and Radiohead. It is. I'm going to say it's Radiohead. It is. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just love their music more. I love their songs more. Yeah, you know what's so funny? Next season, I bet it's going to be Flaming Lips. Oh, maybe. Because I think you like Flaming Lips better than Radiohead. No, I don't. Really? Yeah, I'll say that right now. Oh, wow. I'm so surprised by that. No, no, no. uh, uh, I love Flaming Lips. But no, Radiohead, as far as just like entire output, I remember eating breakfast the morning I was about to drive to New York City with our friend Pete Camera to go see Radiohead a couple summers ago. And Engineer Rachel, my old roommate. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. <laughs> oh, from this program, she's not actually dead. <laughs> yeah, she lives right down the road, actually, from here. Um, she said, what songs are you excited to hear tonight? That's a, you know, she was just interested, and she likes Radiohead. And I was like, huh. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what's crazy? There is not a single song that I wouldn't be excited to hear. Right. And I can't think of another band of whom that's true. Mm. We're literally no skip fa. Literally every, I mean, even though I think I gave them a skip fa for, for Fitter Happier, but that's neither here nor there. Every single song they've released intrigues me. Wow. And satisfies me. And I'd be excited to be in a room with. Mm. And so that's why I could see them multiple times in a week and not even think twice about it. That's awesome. Even if now they vary setlist a lot for an alternative rock band for a non-jam band. Right. They actually vary setlist a ton, but like still, you know, you're going to hear certain songs both nights. It doesn't even fucking matter. You go, yeah, great. So I get to hear everything in its right place again. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Great story about that. When I went to the second night of MSG uh, that week, um, they were playing everything in its right place, and that thi- which is the first track in Kid A, and that thing hits like it's a fucking mainstream hit when it hits. Because when they play live, they give it a good four to the floor kind of thing, and and it has more juice than on the record. But anyway, the crowd just lit up. And I'm standing next to these two guys who were enjoying the show, but, you know, they clearly didn't know Radiohead like maybe the other people did. And this made it very clear. I look over, 
and a guy's holding up his cell phone. And I'm like, oh, is he taking a video? And he has Shazam opened. <laughs> While they're playing everything. I go, I'm thinking to myself, bro, if there was ever a place where you hear a song, one, one, that's not how Shazam works. But two, if there was ever a place where you could just turn to the person next to you and say, what's this? It's here right now. And he's uh, holding up his phone like, what, what, let's see here. Shazamming oh at a my, concert. That's amazing. One of the funniest. And I just, I elbowed, I was there with my friend Andy Hopkins. And I just elbowed him. I was like, look at this motherfucker. So fucking funny. That is so funny. Dude. So anyway, Radiohead, top Man. five favorite band of all time. Fishman is right in that conversation, but I love them for different reasons. And yeah. when it comes down to the music, I'm not talking about the experience. I'm not talking about the, the fun and the mythology and the nostalgia and the, the shows. I'm talking about the music and mm, more so the influence the music has had on me and my music. Mm, that's a good little point, yeah. Raja. Raja head. <laughs> <laughs> Raja head, dude. So I think what we got to do is wrap up this episode mm-hmm. with that. Okay. But next Friday, we're going to come back with our third and final portion where we talk about the albums. We just talk about the humans, the lyrics. The next episode is going to be all about the albums themselves, wherein we will define our top 10 heart songs. Huge. The ultimate skipfa. And I'll say what that is real quick. The song that most upsets the balance of a great record. Right. So that's kind like of a unique the one. The worst Skipfa. Yeah, yes, yeah. the worst Skipfa ever. And then our top five albums and our bottom five albums. In yeah. addition to a lot of other fun categories like right. this. Best yeah. opening track, best closing Including track. but not limited to people. Yes. So that'll be a lot of fun. So we'll close this out. Yeah. Real quick before we go. Sure. I just got it. We got to wrap up this show with like MVPs. Because we just talked about a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. If you think about most awarded right here. Yeah. Radiohead yeah. won in like so many categories. Favorite band, best singing, best vocal moment yeah. was nominated for for lyrics. So Tom York and Radiohead, Ben Folds Five, yeah, for their rhythm section and musicianship and vocal harmonies, and Fiona Apple for her lyrics. I think those are the three MVPs. And I would say Nine Inch Nails and Beck. Oh right, yeah, obviously Nine Inch Nails and Beck for their creativity and production. You got it. So those are those are the five MVPs. If you really really think about it, Beck, Nine Inch Nails, Fiona Apple, Ben Folds 5, Radiohead. <laughs> yes. Uh why don't we do a quick blooper too? Leave oh, the people with this. Fine. To let you know that there's more where this came from. Let's so see. you're literally going to play the blooper reel and we're going to listen to it? <laughs> That's right. I oh, want to see God. your reaction. No one's going to be able to tell the difference between <laughs> what was previously <laughs> recorded and what are we recording right That's now. That's okay. This show's a fucking mess. It's going to it be fun. It sure is. But you make a beautiful mess out of it. And occasionally you make a beautiful mess of our introduction. Oh, no. <laughs> it's time that people know Chris the Younger there is announcer guy. <laughs> what? Don't spoil it. That's for an the affectation. That's a character. And this one gave you a particular amount of difficulty. Oh, no. Welcome, welcome, one and all. We got a fantastic matchup here for you today. In corner number one, a waif-like redhead with the voice of an angel horse. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say the fucking joke. (laughs) You can feel you punting. As I'm going, with the voice of an angel horse. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was a terrible joke, and I think that's what's to blame. You did about eight takes of that. You could not say it right once. And oddly enough, that was the only time I ever thought, oh, let me film this. I'll put it up on our story so people can see Chris recording this. 
and you proceeded to take like a dozen takes to fucking get that right. Oh, damn it. But it was a terrible joke saying that she sounded like a horse angel, which isn't even true. <laughs> I, think it, I think you had some cognitive dissonance because it was just a badly written joke by me. Those yeah. introductions are typically like you come in and it's like, oh shit, we need an intro. Yep. You got anything? Very rarely do I think it through. <laughs> right. And, uh, and we'll kick it around and mm-hmm. you'll try something and I'll throw you an idea that maybe I had coming in or right. I'll hear you say something and be like, okay, that's close. Almost there. Yeah, Let's, exactly. Uh, sand the edges a touch. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, uh, so that's just a little, a little hint there. But yeah, there's some pretty absurd moments. Uh, <laughs> that I think we'll play the rest at the end of the next episode because the next Good. episode is bound to be a little shorter than this one. But hey, one last thing to say. Thank you so much to our listeners. As they, always, guys. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sending suggestions. And uh, just thank you for being so cool. You know, you guys are great music fans, guys and gals. You, you clearly listen to music like we listen to music. Yeah. And I mean... With your ears. Yes, just like you see with your eyes. My, yeah. <laughs> always staring. Always staring. <laughs> with my eyes. That's right. Uh, and so, and we just always appreciate any feedback and, and, and your insights, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the thing, man. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter what country we're in. Exactly. If you approach a form of art, like music, in a particular way, that's the bond, you know? Seriously. And so I do feel a bond to a lot of our listeners. And, yeah. uh, and please don't hesitate to reach out to us at Wee's Talking Wee's on Instagram, at Wee's Talking Wee's on Twitter. And you can send us an email, blueumbattle at gmail.com or weestalkingweez at gmail.com. Either way, I always put a link in our show notes. So if you're looking to get in contact with us, that's the best way. Yeah, we are pretty normal folks with a pretty normal schedule. And we correspond with people all the time. So. Yeah, sometimes six months later, but we do. Hey, listen. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah. And it's oh, worth yes. it. Speaking of correspondence, for the record, Joe Kyleman, I love ACDC. I have nothing but love for ACDC. <laughs> I got another email about ACDC, not from Kyleman. <laughs> oh, my, about my opinion of the rhythm section? Yeah, saying uh, you guys are so wrong. I stand by it. Yeah. I love that band, but I stand by what I said. For the record. You know, uh, Kyle Mans did send a clip, and I didn't, I didn't forward it your way, I should, of, you know, Rick Beato mm-hmm. uh, from YouTube. He did an episode on ACDC, and I do think it offers some insight into the rhythmic components of oh, what they do. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'll send you a link. I think, I think that will help. I don't think it necessarily would change your opinion, uh, nor mine, but I do think it was insightful. Awesome. I, I love insight. I'm always listening. I love insight. <laughs> I will always listen to insight. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, that wraps it up for now. Uh, I guess we'll see you next week on the Blue, Blue Album, Album Battle. Battle. Awards Extravaganza Part 2.